This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, where we talk to our friends about the movies we love. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. I'm not saying I'm a coastal elite. I'm just saying that Montana and Wyoming are indistinguishable. And by the co-host of the Cynonauts podcast and our very own graphic designer, Catcher. Okay, yes, when he pulls the top off the clay, I myself. We finally do our first Spielberg, covering the director's cut of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. And now, without further ado, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We've been working quite hard to get you back on the pod catcher yes yes yes. all right we had a refrigerator situation many fridges had to die to get me here yeah that was a dead zone yeah we had the bones and all debacle uh where your internet crapped out like halfway into the episode bad internet have you been back since then no well i've tried i feel like we were supposed (laughs) to do gattaca oh yeah oh yeah and then gattaca also fell through it got yeah. moved or something. It got I can't... moved. I think Jason, maybe Jason was sick or something. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Spoiler alert: I am sick again. Oh yeah. God! Please. Hey, gold toes hey, woes. Hey, oh. Yeah, it's like a minor one. Like we just like Griffin started having like cold like symptoms over the weekend, and then Crystal and I had terrible sore throats yesterday, and and now the sore throat is gone, but I sound like shit. So a special cold vocal performance from me for all of our podcast audience. I attempted to both neti pot and steam before this podcast to improve the resonant quality of my nasal passages for all of you. But that's okay. um that's the best I can do. You also tried to postpone and you just ran into the brick wall of H on that one. Yeah, I don't know if I really tried to postpone too much. I just like sort okay. of floated like the I just floated like the well what would happen if I needed to postpone. Nice. And and Catcher, you have the Canadian death plague? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, no, I, strep throat only this time. Oh, right. But yeah, I've been sick basically from one thing or another for like almost two weeks now. Whoa. So yeah, we I missed St. Patty's Day. I was in bed. Uh, my girlfriend, Emma, she had a birthday party, like a house party at our very small apartment. There were like 40 people here and I was just in bed. What? People, yeah, people would like come wow. in to dr- dr- drop coats off. Oh, and on my, you <laughs> yeah well that's what would happen they'd walk in and then they'd be like oh my god there's a person in here and every time it would be the same so i'd hide that sucks and then oh they my would god. walk in yeah you were like the hell dog in uh ghostbusters like, yeah. seven, like throat <laughs> right. well the, the thing is i kind of like um i've just been like really busy like getting trying to get it find a job i'm out of work right now and like uh-huh. a, a, a bunch of other things are going on and my head has been all over the place and like I did not commit to her birthday as well as I could have done. Gotcha. So gotcha. I was Got like, it. I can't now tell her to cancel this party. Right. Because right. this is the biggest thing that's happening this week. And What so, number was this for her? Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Okay. Right. But it wasn't like a big one. It wasn't like a, it doesn't end with a five or a ten. No, no. But, okay. you know, 
still. Yeah. It was a birthday. It was a birthday. Uh, they come only but once a year. That's so, fair. I would have yeah. thought like you just wheel yourself into a corner in a chair. You sit there and you smoke a cigarette and like don't make much conversation. No, but the thing is, it's like I don't really <laughs> like going to parties. I'm very introverted. So okay, okay. it was kind of like, a, well, I wish I could. <laughs> yeah. But also I'll just stay in here. I'll be under this pile of coats. Coats, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. come kiss the ring. People would come in and say hi to me and then leave. It was good. Yeah, that worked for you. That's Perfect. awesome. Well, we are very, very happy to have you back on the pod, and we chose a banger, a banger. Uh, for your return. So It's the it's- rare instance where we do both a movie that's in our wheelhouse and is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Listen, you know, it takes all kinds of movies to make an industry. Yeah. Absolutely. And this one, this one literally made an industry, uh, you know, really just blew things up uh, and continued that that big hit of uh, the summer of 1977 or the, the fall of 77. But we are finally tackling our very first film by Steven Spielberg, the director's cut of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm. Man, yeah, this one has been sitting on there, uh, and and so we're quite excited to get into that. We'll be doing that at the bottom of the hour. Meanwhile, next week on Dune Pod, Jason, I am losing my shit. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's a very exciting time. It's a very exciting time, Jason. Okay, what's about to happen? We're doing The Matrix. Ah, oh, a huge oh. one. Man, The Matrix. It's, re- it's, really a good, it's really good movie march. It is a Ooh. good fucking movie, and it is one of the biggest, most Dune-influenced films of all time. Yeah, I mean, wait, I don't how know. do you mean? Wait, how do you mean that do they, Dune do influenced they? it? The one, and you know, the Zion rave, and okay. the siege to Bor. I mean, also you know. the Bible influenced that, but <laughs> <laughs> the New Testament, one of those, you know, that and book. Dune. Fair, fair point. We're gonna get it. Dune, get it the inventor of messianic stories. Right. <laughs> That's what that's I was. Right. That's what I was trying to figure out. Are you saying that the Matrix inspired the movie Dune, or that no. Dune the book inspired the Matrix? Correct. The latter. Okay. Yeah. Then you. We'll get into it. Yeah. This yeah. is this is just preamble for the insightful discussion you can expect next right. week when we discuss the Wachowskis, the Matrix. Joining us to talk the Wachowskis Matrix, we have the breakout star of Jason Momoa's C, HBO Max's Banshee Warrior. And DMZ, Hoon Lee. I feel like we got to keep oh. that audio like replaceable because I just feel it's going to fall through. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> Hoon Lee is excited to do this podcast with us, but like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's just a big, that's a big, uh, that's a big get. His perform, he's such an amazing actor. I look forward to talking to him about this movie. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, we're going to get into it. This is our very first actor that we've ever had on the show. So that, oh, I mean, I've done cool. some, I've done some acting, Matt. Okay. All yeah, right. me well, too. Well, all right. We'll talk. Well, no. Yeah, I know about your your directorial. Uh, I was an, I was a, I was the wall in uh, <laughs> Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. Okay. So, all right. I was uh, the grandfather in the fifth grade production of Steamboatin. C H. You have See? real professionals here, and you're what just is that? choosing not to Steamboatin. I don't even know what that is. I'm not really sure it's a real musical. I think okay. it was it's made up for grade school children to perform in Missouri so they can talk about the Mississippi River. 
<laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> there's nothing offensive in containing it whatsoever. So yes, nothing sus happened in Missouri in the in the 19th century regarding trade on the Mississippi River. It was all very cool, <laughs> <laughs> very above very, board, very yeah. above board and cool. All right, let's do some quick Dune news. Would you like to know more? Dune news. There's no Dune news, uh, oh, but yeah. I will say late breaking just a few minutes ago, Daniels have set a course yes. for the Star Wars galaxy. I like that Dune news in your conception of it is now also Star Wars news. Like it's, it's just, the second, like you're just like, like last week, like with Joe, you were just like, and now also we're going to talk about like, you know, what Disney's going to announce at, uh, you know, Star Wars day about like all the movie and like not, there's nothing to do with dune i mean like really warner nothing. brothers nor i mean warner yeah brothers. i this mean if there is a movie series more influenced by dune it than would be star the matrix wars. it would be the matrix <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and the, and the gospel according to mark so so this is crazy shit the idea that daniels are directing at least one episode of disney plus they're doing the series skeleton crew which was a show run created by John Watts, who we know mm -hmm. from the Spider-Man movies uh, in the MCU, and also working with our pal Greg Gatanis, uh for The Old Man. Okay, cool. That's great. That's all. I love everything about that news. I don't know how the Daniels just slot in for an episode. Like what happens? That seems crazy, but I I cannot wait to watch. I assume it's going to be tightly controlled. <laughs> Is it not been made already? Or they will be. I thought I what I read was that they'd sh they'd done one episode. It's a little confusing. Lucasfilm and Daniels did not confirm. The Hollywood Reporter just reported that it was reported to them. So that's all okay. we have so far. So we'll we'll stay tuned and we'll see what happens next. Catcher, do you have any Dune news or Star Wars news or um, <laughs> any franchise news generally? Uh, hmm. No, no, not today. Sorry, I would have okay. I would have prepped. Kieran Hines is going to join season two of the. Rings of Power. That which is that is awesome. There's good news and franchise news. Just generally, Hell yeah. I sat up and paid attention. Mm. I love him. Mm -hmm. Tinker good. Tailor Soldier Spy. When really? Oh, I want to do that. When? When? Get, get Ben on the phone. Let's go. All right. I'm ready. All right. All right. Let's welcome some new Discord friends. A raging Gaiden underscore S. Disney exec. Disney exec. Ooh, okay. A very exciting okay. Disney this, are, this now makes a lot more sense. What's happening, Jason? What's happening with Disney, Disney Listen, exec? The, here's the thing that people are slowly cottoning on to about this podcast is that we are movers and shakers in the industry. Yes. As seen by truly like the remarkable run of guests that we've been on <laughs> recently. Yes. Um, like Rosie, Joe, Catcher, yeah. Hoon Lee. Like yeah. it's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous march. Joanna um, for Dune Pod this week. Yeah. So. yeah. Amazing shit. Yeah. And so now the movers and shakers of the industry are coming to our Discord to spill the beans as I requested. Yes. And I should say, like, it's to their benefit because I really do feel like there's not many marketable skills that I have, but I am very capable of looking at some meeting notes and figuring out where the fuck up happened. Like where the <laughs> where the where the bad decision making lied. Mm -hmm. And if you show me some meeting notes, you show me some PowerPoints. I will let you know where your shit came off the rails, and Disney Exec understands that, and that's why they've taken their stolen documents. Welcome, Discord, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. Well, we're happy to have Disney Exec here, and we'll continue to see how that unfolds and what our percentages will uh, add up to um, yep. from the back end points. Also joining us, Joe wrote this. Joanna mm -hmm. Robinson from the Ringer Network. Incredible. Oh yeah. Amazing. Adventure Knot. 
Big Old Beard. Big Old Beard. Uh, D-Bot and some guy named H. Lee. Yeah, it could be Hoon Lee. It could be another Lee. We don't know. <laughs> you never can tell. Well, what do you think? Are you guys ready to get into this movie? God, yeah. I'm really excited. This is a good one. Okay, here we go. Close Encounters of the Third Kind is the quest to find connection and meaning in what we thought was a cold and lonely universe. Roy Neary is a normal Midwestern husband and father whose life is irrevocably altered one night when he witnesses a UFO that leaves him sunburned on the outside and obsessed on the inside. Meeting other witnesses with similar experiences, including the beautiful mother Jillian, whose young son Barry was abducted from their tranquil farmhouse, Roy will be torn between sacrificing the family he loves and the desperate calling he can't resist to reestablish contact with these unknown beings. Infiltrating a hastily constructed top-secret military base at Devil's Tower in Wyoming, run by skeptical and ruthless officers and the intuitive and thoughtful scientist Lacombe, Roy will be forced to make a choice. Will he return to his suburban life or will he embark on a new journey, making close encounters of the third kind? <laughs> Dude, when that guy goes nuts on the yeah. keyboard, I yeah. was like, okay, give Don't this you, man I, a venue. It's the ultimate, <laughs> it's the ultimate waiting for the beat to drop. Is uh <laughs> is, <laughs> It's that dude on the on the keyboards at the end. <laughs> the ultimate like DJ ego pause is like Oh my god. All right. So Catcher, what's your history with Close Encounters? Because you're too young. You were born after this film came out. Too young. Jason, you will learn this one day, I imagine. All right. H, you may have learned this lesson already. But when you're a kid, or at least when I was a kid, stuff that my dad used to love, I would then buy him copies of these things oh. for his birthday whoa. for me for me to have. All right on. Oh, so whoa. you know, so Bruce Springsteen has like a new box set coming out. Dad, here you go. My dad doesn't need another copy of Born to Run. <laughs> He's right. already right. got 30 copies. He's got three CDs, the original vinyl, and a bunch of bootleg cassette tapes. He doesn't Hell need yeah. this anniversary edition. But of course, come Father's Day, the, what would he get? He would get Bruce Springsteen box set <laughs> because I, I wanted the Bruce Springsteen box set. So I, uh, for this pod, watched the special edition DVD that came out to bunch of years ago, huh. which are one of those uh, Happy Father's Day, but this is really for me movies because I had never seen it and I wanted to watch it. So that's wow. that's the copy that I have that's that I, I watched for the episode. So look out for those Happy Father's Day gifts from your kids. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, mm. That is a great lead in to my story with okay. this is going to be a very father centric episode of dune Pie. yeah definitely i mean like it is a movie about there is a, this the movie ultimately is there's a lot of stuff about fatherhood in this movie too in a weird way mm -hmm. after train to basan we're still reeling we're still reeling yeah we're still processing our feelings about child endangerment <laughs> so as mentioned in many dune pods previously my father owned one of the first video rental stores uh in the country and definitely in st louis missouri where i grew up 
And as a result of him being like an AV geek, we had a number of like uh, movies that were like copied from from uh, VHS. Uh, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind was definitely one of them. I was too young to see it in the theater, certainly. I don't think I've ever seen it in the theater. I didn't see it on the re-release, uh, and I don't think I've ever seen it in the theater. Hmm. But I saw it a ton when I was a kid. It was another one of those, this came up with for another movie, where I think the something was corrupted or it had been taped over, and so I primarily saw from the bird- <laughs> The third act. <laughs> the bird dying off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I've seen that part of- uh the movie a billion times as a very young child and i didn't know what it was from and i think in my mind i was confused about being connected to 2001 at some point in time mm -hmm. and then but then it was also on channel 11 in st louis saturday afternoon movie it was I, it was on a lot it was importantly and we'll talk about the versions of it it was the vhs like version that had the interior of the mothership okay, um yeah. so special and special edition and that cut yeah so i saw that a lot and this will come up importantly at the end of the movie we'll come back to this this topic but yeah i've seen it a ton and then not in a while until i rewatched it for the pod i can't remember we definitely had this on on vhs uh or beta i watched it many 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 times I definitely saw the special edition in the theater wow. um, when it came out and just remember very specifically and remember seeing the code epoxy and just being blown away um, by that. Um, that that had a very, very strong. The, what's the code epoxy? That's, that's the ship. The ship that oh, okay. shows up in the desert. Yeah, oh, that's okay. the ship they added in, in the special oh, okay, edition. Gotcha, gotcha. And so that, that was like a very strong piece for me. And I have not watched this movie in 30 years. Uh, oh, wow. Interesting. Like I, I have not seen it since I, I think since I was a kid. I've always known it was amazing and it's always been hanging out there. And I've been thinking about it for a long time of, of wanting to do it. Um, uh, but I'm glad uh, we're finally doing it now. Yeah. And it just needs to be said, like, this is Spielberg's follow-up to Jaws. So it's like after he basically- Invented blockbuster movies. Invented the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he really figured out how to make a fucking movie at some point in time. Like there, there was just a period of time which he defined a style of movie making that like not only worked on this like ridiculous commercial level, um, but also like I think for- our generation for like the Gen X dads in the world and like our generation who saw these movies uh, as kids, like defined what movie making meant for like our childhood and like, for, like just define what movies should feel like, like the, yeah. the look and feel of movies. And I, I didn't know that movies could look and feel any different until like much later in life. This is just what I thought movies were. Um, and so to go back and revisit a movie like this, I think it would also be true for E.T. It's true for when I watch Jaws and you're just like, oh, this is a this is a master at work at this particular style of blockbuster filmmaking is just so wild because it's just so it's it's the Kubrick of blockbuster filmmaking. Like it, 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 he is that he is that talented for this specific direction of movie making. And it's just fucking wild. Mm -hmm. Just blows my mind how good he is. And so young. And very young. Yes. He looks like young. Young Spielberg looks like Catcher. That's another thing that we <laughs> I promised we would talk about. But if you if you take a look at young Spielberg when he has when he has the beard uh, and he has like the he has like the the glasses, the round glasses and like sort of the like I, I don't think you have quite the hair, but it's yeah. very Spielbergian. 
like it's like I, your your roots are your roots are are, are Italian. Is that what I'm meant to yes, believe by this? That's right. So yeah. it's the Italian Jewish confusion. Yes. that right, happens right. The quite. The Penny Marshall situation. That happened. The Penny Marshall fucking situation. I have quite the a Gary bit of Marshall. that. I actually have quite yeah. a bit of that. Yes. So yes. That makes sense. If you told me if you told me you were Jewish, I didn't know your last name. I would have believed 100. percent I, like, I worked. No I doubt. worked for a, a guy at my boss, and he was Jewish, and we looked like we could have been brothers. And most <laughs> yeah, of the, and a lot of our customers came in and made a lot of assumptions about where yes. I came from. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And there's a lot of Jews in Toronto too. I mean, like it's like a, it's a yes. very, it's like it wouldn't be surprising. Yes, and the and the area where my mom's family is from in Italy actually has quite a large Jewish population. So you are Jewish. It it's basically yeah, it what out. we're learning yeah. on this yeah, podcast. Right. Welcome like, to the tribe. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you for having. That's me. great. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> So, so some quick behind the scenes. So this goes back to Steven seeing a meteor shower with his dad right? Um, and being interested in space and interested in science fiction at 18 years old. And I haven't seen Fableman's, full disclosure, Kev. I, I have. Okay. Uh, so, so we can speak to this as the movie goes on, I think. But at the age of 18, he made Firelight, a right. full-length sci-fi film. Um, and he incorporated many shots, shot for shot, into Close Encounters. But after Sugarland Express, he did a deal with Columbia after 20th Century Fox turned him down. So this is interesting. They basically greenlit this film or like started development of it with a $3 million target budget. They brought in Paul Schrader, um, who is yeah. like a very intense like director, who worked on it. And he developed the script, which Stephen called one of the most embarrassing screenplays yeah. ever professionally turned into a major film studio. Yeah, or fuck directed. you, Paul Schrader. <laughs> yeah. So get your fucking shine box. Like, yeah, that's Jesus. great. One of the yeah. most like like well-known writers, not just directors. Yeah. Like he's yeah. directed films, but like as a writer, he is most definitely most well known. And like so t- I need to know what that script is. Looks like that's fascinating. To it's apparent it's he says it's like a it's like a sad lonely man. Like it's basically like a military it's a, a air force so, an air so force Paul officer Schrader movie basically. It's yeah. like an air force <laughs> officer who's like in charge of like some part of Project Blue Book and like you know ends up believing that it's oh actually it's not bullshit or whatever. Right. Um but it's just like yeah it's a sad lonely man against like the bureaucracy of the army or some shit. Okay. Yeah so it's every Paul Schrader movie I ever made. It could be a it could be a good like Tony Gilroy script to be perfectly honest. Like mm-hmm. There, there's definitely like I'm sure there's a movie in there, but it's not what Spielberg was going for. Yeah. Definitely, he was I, that was that the the humanistic celebration of like the commonality of life that like, <laughs> that those encounters of the third kind end up being with a lot not. of horror though. Yeah, a I little mean, it's bit. A, it's a celebration of life with a lot of horror thrown in, uh, like in some horror, some suspense. It's, it's very interesting, like the degree. I mean, the the degree we'll get into to which. The degree to which it sometimes wants to become a horror movie is very interesting. And I don't, it's just like, that's just like Spielberg. Like, I can't help myself. There's going to be a spooky, there's going to be a spooky thing in here. Mm -hmm. And it works. So after the success of Jaws, um, he brought in J. Allen Hynek. And he's the guy that you see later that has the pipe. And he was the guy who worked on Project Blue Book for the Air Force. And his job was to basically debunk UFO sightings. And he quit because about 10 to 20% of the reports that he was sent to debunk, he couldn't do it. And he thought they were very realistic. Um, And so he was a big inspiration for Steven through this whole process. Um, And as they developed this film- And he's he's also the one who came up with the classification system, the third kind. The third kind, yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as they got closer to release, NASA sent a 20 page letter telling Steven yes. the movie would be dangerous and should not be released. Very questionable PR strategy from NASA. <laughs> uh, like, 
very questionable, like that you think you're going to send a 20 page letter and be like, oh, like there must be nothing here. And in fact, Steven Spielberg said after I got the 20 page letter, I was like, well, we're definitely finally making the movie now. Yeah. Like you got it. <laughs> like you're you are clearly on to something like right. they're that freaked out. <laughs> right. Like that's that. it's just not a great it's just not a great uh, PR strategy from the eggheads down in Cape Canaveral. I, I imagine this is something like everyone saw how much Jaws stopped people from going to the beach. <laughs> yes. And they were like, yeah. we, we, are, we need this funding. Please, right. if you turn them <laughs> off of this, right. this will never get it back. Right. We'll never get it back. We right. just went to the moon for the last time. Like we need right. money. Help. Yeah. Yeah, please. <laughs> but but you but but in, in actuality, if if we could get people excited about aliens, then maybe we might get the funding. And maybe that's where they it all went wrong, but we'll see. The did the shark rights people send a letter to <laughs> Steven Spielberg be like, listen, not all great whites are bitey. Like we're just trying to explore our own parts. We don't even hang out around fucking Cape Cod. Are you kidding me? This is yeah. a bunch of bullshit. The San Francisco problem. Yeah. Catcher, yeah. Stephen hired film title designer Dan Perry. This font, Catcher. Yes. Oh, this yeah. is oh, a yeah. hot ass font. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's my God. Good. It's very good. Oh, my okay. God. And it's handle, funny. handle Gothic is the font. Oh, my God. It's very good. And like um, the, and like the everyone, lines, the lines the across. Li the lines are what makes it. And it's also good, too, because you always call it like close encounters because right. It's a long ass name, but right? They're, they're smartly close encounters, big font of the right. third kind, little font, right. which yeah. is just like just visually like looks perfect. But God, when that came up, I was like, Woo. it's it's still it, slaps. it's on. It's this movie is going to be great. Yeah. It really yeah. offers you. It really makes you feel like you're in good hands when you see a font that good. Yeah. You're like, I am like, I am well taken care of. Someone with someone who cares about things has made this movie and we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. <laughs> very, just, I was just, I'm just so giddy. I'm so glad you brought it up because it is very, absolutely had yeah. to, had yeah. to. So, so Perry had previously worked on the exorcist and taxi driver, mm -hmm. and then he would go on to do star Wars. Little film. I mean, I don't know. Star wasn't star cat before that. Star cat was first. Uh, star cat made that font first. <laughs> and then he also, he also did airplane. Uh, which was oh, a classic. Good. Those are all good titles. Classic logo. Yeah. So again, so the film was greenlit for three million. Um, the budget ultimately ballooned to nineteen million, and then yeah. it got it got rushed out because Columbia was literally going bankrupt, and yeah. they were they were dying. Um, yeah. And it was released, and it was a huge smash hit, like two hundred eighty million dollars. Yeah. You want to go through the rest of it, or do you want to save special edition and directors for later? You, you're that's we're a here. seat one question. We're not here a now. We might as well. We can do it. Okay. So 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 the movie's a huge hit. Stephen, um, there were some things that he wanted to do. He was frustrated that he got rushed um, to finish it a couple months early. So he went back to the studio and said, "Give me another one and a half million dollars, and I'm going to make another cut of this." And they're like, "Fine, but you have to go inside the spaceship." And so he reluctantly created a whole segment, which I guess they got. Dreyfus back and yeah, <laughs> like schlubbed him up again and uh, and then put him inside that spaceship. But I, I guess. But the, did your your notes specify like how shortly after they went to to do these shots? Like was I think it, it was like the next year. I think it was seventy eight. Gotcha. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't too it wasn't too long after. That's what I was wondering. Okay. Yeah. So they ended up you know tacking on that scene, which actually has some really cool visuals of the interior that that they did. 
But ultimately, Stephen was frustrated that he had to do that. It made $16 million more million on the re-release, so brought him mm. up to 303 um, worldwide. And ultimately, in 98, Stephen came back and made the director's cut. And so he removed the uh, the interior of the ship because he really thought that should be left to people's imaginations. Right. And then he added a couple other scenes. This is like the most fuckery that Spielberg's ever gotten involved with, I think. There's not I think like so. I, don't, I don't think there's a, this happens quite as often. Like it's not a Lucas situation. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. he's not like revisiting and reprinting these movies every 20 years like like his friend was. Um, <laughs> he got it out of his system early. Yeah. Yeah. And I was I was unaware of this. I was unaware of all of this basically until Oh, really? we were doing the pod. Yeah. But importantly, the version that I saw at was home the most was the special edition, yeah. All right, well, let's get into this movie. So it opens up with this very ominous music while we're getting into uh, the credits, um, cruising through there. And then it's just really, really striking when you have the desert. And it's like real, like Indiana Jones style. It's real Indiana Jones vibes. Yeah, like yeah. the trucks and driving really yeah. fast and all the wind. Once blowing. you've seen Indiana Jones and that's like that's like more of a cultural memory for you than Close Encounters, it's impossible not to see Indiana Jones all throughout mm, this movie. True, like, yeah. 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 But the idea of setting this opening in the desert, it's similar to when Greg did Children of, uh, Children of Dune and they set it in snowfall. It like it totally subverts your expectations. I was not expecting a desert to be the opening right. setting of this film. But interesting, though, because the opening shot is this sort of like these lights mm-hmm. coming through the unknown. Yeah. You know? And that's sort of like, here are the themes, lights coming through, you know, that just still thematically made sense to me. So that was cool. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Um, so we have this crew that's basically cruising around, um, and we have our introduction to Truffaut, who we'll talk about in a minute. But first, I want to talk about Bob Balaban. Yes. The cartographer. So this is Dr. Chandra from 2010. Yep. We saw uh, him in <clears throat> the Wes Anderson movie, French Dispatch. French Dispatch. He was also in Severance. He was in Ghost World, Best in Show, Mighty Wind. Um, so has had an incredible career. He's great. Oh, best in show. But he will always be Dr. Chandra to me. Dr. Chandra is 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 an all-time role for him. Very emotional. I like choked up emotional Bob Balaban. Yes. Side note, I just yesterday I pinged in in DM's art to try and get him to come on the pod and do 2010. And he, he's he's not ready. He's got complications that are holding him back. But uh, that's so fine. I, I may all, save 2010. We're all riding our own horses. <laughs> yes. He said he's available in 2029, Jason. So like, okay. we'll, just, we'll just get the pencil we'll, we'll, we'll get that on the book. We got a couple <laughs> slots still available that year. So, so, I mean, I just love this, the intensity of the interpreter. And this scene is like many of the scenes in this film, surprisingly long. Yeah. Um, we have the revelation that there's these World War II airplanes that appeared overnight and all of this grounding detail of the state of the planes, how much their pressure and the amount of fuel they still have and starting them up. Um, it's yeah. Very one, solid. One of my notes, one of my notes from this, like just the beginning of the movie is there's a real deliberateness, deliberateness with the movement of the camera, like all of the, like the, all of the pans and like all of the like there's just like you, you've got these longer shots with like the, the camera moving and like, you know, it follows like the car into the scene. And like it's just different than like like what movies look like now. And it, it very much like you're like, oh, like this is a Steven Spielberg movie. Like that's like how that's the thing he does. The other thing, like with the planes, is there's all these insert shots of like the yeah, of fuel the gauges stuff inside. Yeah, fuel gauges, photos, like all of these little details that just kind of quickly are thrown in there to kind of pepper you with like 
here's what this plane is. And you're like sort of trying to piece together what the fuck's going on with this plane. And it's giving you these little flashes of like, here's some stuff about the plane. And it's just like, it's like pulling you in in this like really interesting way. Um, and I just, I just loved it. It's like, again, it's like the font, like you're immediately given the assurance that you're like in the hands of a master. Like, it's like, this guy's got a fucking plan mm. for how he's going to tell this weird ass story. Right. Like, let's just, let's just let it ride here. An interesting, just like side thing. Cause the, originally the planes were supposed to be found in the jungle. Mm. So originally what he wanted to do was like have them in the center right. of wow. rock circles and then planes being there, which I was like, that visual to me yeah. is like, Ooh, yeah. yes, please. Yeah, yeah. I would love that. But this is just like, like you said, he goes, he does the effort of shows you all this stuff. The calendar is in peak yeah, yeah. condition. It's from back in the day, all this stuff. So then all he needs to do quickly is say like, these are the planes. Right. It's the same planes. And you're like, yeah. oh my God. Like it just, like you said, it slowly peppers stuff in. So that when the revelation happens, you're, you're on board and you've almost put it together yourself. And it's the last little bit at the end where you're like, ah, yes, yeah. okay, I understand. It's the training mission from Fort Lauderdale, which you guys know. That's we're talking Bermuda Triangle, baby. Oh, okay, all right. I, it's full. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fully grok the, the important Florida connection. That's the deal. We're, yeah, was Shit one of these pilots around Florida? <laughs> was one of these pilots in a progressive funk swamp band at some point? <laughs> not in the forties. <laughs> not in the forties. Right. Uh, so it was a regressive funk band. Okay, uh, at, at that point. So we do have an old man uh, there who translates and says the sun came out at night and sang to him. Um, yes. So we, we get a little bit of the detail. But we go from there to the air traffic controllers. Love this scene. This scene is amazing oh because God. it's so intense. And, and there's nothing. It's dudes in a room looking at a screen. Nothing's happening. There's, there's no cuts nothing. to the pilots. Right. There's no shots of the, of the UFOs. This is like some baller shit. Like it's baller shit. <laughs> yeah. Like to be yeah. able to pull that off, yeah. it should be boring or weird or confusing. Like, and it's instead you totally get it. And the fact that they won't report in the UFOs, like, because they're like embarrassed or like, don't want to be involved in this, like totally makes sense. They don't have to spell it's it out. Like, it's just like all this stuff you're like, okay. And there's also like all this cool, he's also establishing all this cool cross chatter, which is yeah. like a big thing, which is like kind of like an Altman thing more than it is a Spielberg thing, frankly. Yeah. But like it, it, it is this like this storytelling like way of like establishing the world as like feeling like real and like, you know, things are always in motion and there's like all this like, you know, there's all this propulsive force in the world. And like part of that is the way in which people talk. And it's just great. And both of these scenes are just so mm. great little primers on like how you're going to have to watch the movie. Um, it's delightful. Yeah. Tom Cruise had to put cameras inside planes to get the same yeah. level ah, of tension yeah. and, and excitement out you, of the Tom, scene. You fucking hack. Right? And <laughs> listen, listen, you know, it was yeah. a great movie. It is a great okay? movie. And uh, nothing against Scientology. Okay. They're great people. I don't want ah. you guys getting sued. Okay. But I didn't, I hadn't thought about that until yeah. right now. But that's exactly, Jason, you're exactly right. Like you're in it. You're like, yeah. oh my God. What could they, what is yeah. this? What's happening? And yeah, and, and there, but you never actually see anything. You're just in this room and, and watching little green screens. Really it's cool. great. Very, so, very well done. I love yeah. all the chatter and stuff in the background. Um, but so we go from there to, uh, to Jillian and Barry's house in Muncie, Indiana. So Jason, why is Steven so scared of toys? I and fuck why these toys. is he making these toys us are be scared of these toys? Uh, that was my that was like literally my one, two, three, fourth note is fuck that monkey toy. Like that toy <laughs> yeah. is terrifying. I had that. <laughs> to put that in a child's room is terrible. Like it's just absolutely horrible. Yeah, not chill. That's very scary. 
it's really creepy. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely works. Um, so, so my question is, you know, when Barry comes downstairs, the aliens basically tore up the food in the fridge. Is that the deal? They went through and like had some cokes mm-hmm. and whatnot. I guess so. Yeah. They got the munchies. Late Barry's night munchies. reactions are incredible. Yes. Him standing there and like talking and smiling and reacting and yeah, how he's great. So this, so I've got some information on this. Barry, his his real name is Carrie Guffy, and Carrie Guffy was known as One Take Carrie. He was three years old. He turned four years old on set. Jesus, and he's he's great. It should be. I mean, like physically, he's great. Like he's a beautiful kid who like has like kind of like you know alien like big features or whatever uh-huh and like what they would do like for the scene in which he sees the aliens and like first seems shocked and then like seems like oh this seems fun is like off stage steven spielberg would like have a guy who was dressed in a monkey suit behind a curtain and then they would drop the they would drop the curtain and you would see the guy in the monkey suit and that would kind of scare him and then oh. he dropped the other one and he'd see the clown and there'd be a clown and he'd be like, oh, that's kind of fun. And that's like, that's basically <laughs> what they did to like manipulate this kid and giving him the takes. And, but he was great. He apparently was great. He talks very positively about his time working with Steven Spielberg, even though he doesn't remember it very well because he was three turning four. Sure. Um, and then he was, he was like the it kid for a hot minute and could have done anything. The movie he was up for next was to be, uh, in the shining to be the kid in the shining oh danny to be danny in the shining and the and his parents were like the movie's too fucked up we're not doing yeah it. fuck yeah and, and Good so parents. and then he, and then he and then he basically like retired from acting he's like a financial advisor in atlanta now but um <laughs> yeah he had a great time and it's great like he says like there's this quote i read from him where he's like yeah like people don't really because like i never acted again really i was in, like a right. couple things but like people don't really know about this part of my life because it was like so long ago it was when i was a little kid um, and so it's only like, you know, after people really get to know me that I, I'll bring it up and it'll be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm the fucking kid from Close Encounters. Kid and they'll be like, what do you what? mean? Like, it's like, this <laughs> cra- it's like crazy. It's like meeting like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, like, I, you know, like I was one of I was the elephant on like, you know, Noah's Ark or something like that. Like just meeting like so like weird celebrity. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah he, That's he cool. does. A fa- he does a phenomenal job. But I will say. Jason, this kid goes outside again. This fucking kid. Well, this stay is the in se- the house, this is, children. This is stay the in the house. It's Muncie. They thought it was safe. They thought they could go anywhere. Yeah. The aliens were talking to him. Yeah. What are I you gonna know. do? Seems wild. Uh, so yeah. we cut from here. We finally get to Roy. Uh, so my first note says Roy, maybe not the best father at the no. start. At the start no. here, <laughs> Roy, not a great father, not a great husband. So he is trying to instill a love of the classics. Like, I don't think he's doing a great job of doing it, but he wants to share Pinocchio, which was important to him and has an important message. He's trying to, you know, to his his shitty little kids, including Toby, who is far too large to be in a playpen. And it's just standing there smashing a doll. Uh, But I don't normally think, you know, when she gives him a heart, his wife gives him a hard time. He says, okay, I'm wrong. I'm wrong, Roy. Toby, Toby, you are close to yeah. <laughs> you don't usually yeah. say your kids are close to death. It's crazy. Also, their apartment has this like kind of industrial suburban vibe. Like it looks mm-hmm. like there's a lot of like dark wood and like it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that playpen's made out of like metal and barbed wire. Like there's just like it's a very intense home <laughs> um, even before he starts fucking it up. Yeah, true. It's very weird. Yeah, that house is absolute madness from beginning. Like 
the, the reason, like, anyone asks me, why don't you want to have kids? I'm just going to show them this scene, <laughs> and that's all I'll have to do. This yeah. is, like, the smashing of that baby constantly yeah. through. There's just junk everywhere. Everywhere. Like, yeah, that's accurate. Clear, like, I, I was listening to one thing in uh, this review of the movie, and they were talking, about, like, oh, yeah, like, he's his father, and his obsession this you know is bestowed upon him and he be, he becomes obsessed and leaves his family i'm like this dude clearly just was looking for an out right well not just <laughs> yeah. an, well not just an out but like he is clearly obsessed with things like i don't yeah. know what but yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just got junk everywhere right. the trains and right. he's like a hoarder it, like he's clearly yeah. got some sort of like compulsive something going on yeah. so this just like this just unlocked a new level for him i think but yeah. he's clearly someone who's just is not in where he wants to be. He's right not where now. he wants to be. His wife is like trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's married to Terry Gar. So, I know. Okay. Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie, yeah. played by Terry Gar. So she was in Star Trek, the original series, one episode. Okay. The conversation. <laughs> yeah. Young Frankenstein, Kev, yeah. come home. Like, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do it. Uh, that's, good. that's a good one. The Black Stallion, when? Okay. <laughs> I love. Oh, really? Dude, I love The Black Stallion. That's oh, an incredible movie. Tootsie. I know you're a horsey boy. Tootsie. Tootsie, yeah. I'm okay. ready. Mr. Dabney Mom. Coleman, let's go. Oh, is she in Mr. Mom? Of course. She's 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 uh, the, the wife in Mr. Mom. Oh, my she's God. She's Mrs. Mom. What is that? A 22? 21, 22, whatever it <laughs> takes. Whatever it takes. takes. <laughs> it's amazing. We rip these walls out and, uh, of course, rewire it. Yeah, you're going to make it all 220? Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. That's amazing. I, I that that is like one of my most go-to lines in the history of film. Yes. 21, 22, whatever it takes. Yeah. Us too. Us too. Okay, but so she does say, in fairness, for Roy, regarding Pinocchio, she says that movie's four hours long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is false. Pinocchio, importantly, will come back at the yes, end of, of course. the movie. Yeah. Uh okay, so just just tying it into uh the Fablemans. So there's a scene in the movie, uh, obviously this is something that must have happened to Spielberg in his real life, but where he mm. is obsessed with trains, like he's got this these train sets, and uh, he sees a movie uh, of which the name escapes me, but there's like a, a, a famous train crash in mm. this okay. old, old film. And so his desire to want to sort of like recapture that uh, scene in a movie is what like leads him to getting a camera, picking up a camera uh -huh. and, and him attempting sh time after time to like recapture this shot with these toy trains. Um, and so in that way, it's sort of like, I think we start tying in Spielberg into this character um, uh -huh. yeah. and his obsession. Um, I think in this case with film, you know, in the large, in this case, it's whatever his obsessions are within the movie and the aliens and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, this is a, a character that Steven Spielberg knows extremely well, which is a man obsessed, you know? Yeah. And so this idea that trains are what he, you know, we're introduced to this character with trains makes, I think, is interesting. Listen, before there were podcasts, there were model trains. Like, right. this is what, right. like, right. like dads used to drink a lot and sit and make fucking model trains. Like, that's what happened. My dad had model trains for sure. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. My dad did not, but. Incidentally, his math lesson with the model train is very confusing and bad. I yeah. really, I, <laughs> like, I, like, I'm pretty good at math and I did not understand the point of the math lesson, nor the way he was carrying it out. Right. It seemed bad. 
<laughs> more more in the more in that he's a bad dad category. This is a movie about being a bad dad. Yes. Any answer is fine, bro. Any answer is fine. It is fine. <laughs> yeah. This is a movie about being a bad dad. Such a bad dad that you have to be taken away by to aliens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Steven Spielberg has also been quoted as saying, um, if he ever wants to put himself in a film, his go-to selection is uh, uh what's his name? Dreyfus? Dreyfus? Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Oh, interesting. So uh, I don't know how many other films they've made together, but at least these two films. Didn't that happen with Woody Allen? Like, first he was like, okay, Kenneth Branagh is going to be now. And then right. he's like, oh, Owen Wilson's going to be me now. In fairness, Richard Dreyfus is a less attractive person than, <laughs> yeah. right. than Steven Spielberg. Like, he actually chose a more nevish version of himself to be his screen person. He didn't cast like Liam Hensworth or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, so I, I used to get Robert Downey Jr. when I was in college. That's what's actually what? my, come, that's come was my on. nickname. This was my come nickname on. from, from one of my best friends. He called oh me Robert Downey Jr. This was, only, this was only like less than zero was the only thing we were working off of at that point. And then it like later it was like, you know, now it's like, you know, grandpa Clooney basically is the closest I can, I can try and get to, but. Oh, Okay, just that, just uh, like, uh, like ju just Clooney. Okay, all right, amazing digression. <laughs> edit this out, whoever. Listen, over, yeah, over it's there. terrible. Megan, don't don't edit. Grandpa uh, so Clooney. <laughs> so that's what I get a lot too. I get like a combination of like you know, uh, young Patrick Stewart and. Um, that's good. That's great, Lou Gossett Jr. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason Momoa, I see that. Yeah, Jason Momoa. Oh my god! Uh, so now we get to the power outages, and his job is yeah. to do repair work. He is the lineman for the county. Yeah, yeah. What's that from? That's a song. That's okay. okay. We continue. We get now finally to the train crossing. Yes, this shot is so iconic uh, with him there. And you have, starting with the sound just stopping, the mailboxes start shaking like crazy. The lighting through all of this, once it comes yes. on and it's burning and the flashes. Well, and the, the great setup of the gag of like, he gets passed by the one car first and then he thinks yes. it's like enough. He thinks that's just a great bit. I mean, it's just super great smart filmmaking. Like, yes, it's just like, there's so much stuff that like happens like out of frame or like behind, like there's so much stuff that's just like, he he's, he's just doing such a good job drawing the audience's attention to exactly what he wants them looking at. I just like, respect the shit out of it. Like, it's mm. just crazy how good he is at, it, at that, that out, those parts of it. Yeah, and I wonder too, like with Jaws in particular, like he, there's this whole the, the whole like film concept of show less, you right. know, yeah. let, let the mind yeah. figure right. it out. And Jaws, right. that was more because they didn't have a choice. You right, know, it was mm -hmm. like the shark is not working. If the right. shark had worked, they probably would have showed it a million times, and we never would have learned that lesson, or at least we right. would have in another way. And mm. I wonder how much of that was knowledge he had sort of before that, or how much of that was knowledge he was bringing with him from that movie and was like yeah you know how can we show less of this and how can we make that still interesting so mm -hmm. yeah i'm interested it's somewhat disputed of whether or not the not working shark actually made them show the shark less like i mm. i like i like he i think what and who knows if this is like retro you know sure. is, is sort of like Dale retconning the the reality but like he says i like, know it was always my intention not to show the shark it was just like it took fucking forever once we were using the shark because the gotcha. fucking thing didn't work and like we were shooting on the water and okay. he said of like shooting this movie 
Like this was a fucking dream compared to shooting Jaws. Cause like we weren't on a, the fucking ocean and there weren't boats passing around the horizon. It wasn't like- People you know, weren't throwing up. Yeah, it was way easier. Mm. I do think it's an interesting choice. Like from the beginning, it's completely unambiguous that there are aliens, like, right. and that there are big flying bright sp spaceships. Like there's yes. no, like they don't hide it at all. The point is not whether or not there are aliens. The point is like, what are we going to do about it now that there are aliens? Like, sure. how is that going to change everything? How is that going to affect like society and like this whole story of the government? And how is that going to affect like this specific protagonist who essentially has a psychotic break? Sure, yeah. sure. But like, like the technique, especially in the scene of like, we're going to give you the shaky boxes. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. okay, sure. We get the lights go up and above, yeah. which is, of course, brilliant. But then there's a lot of this like, ooh, how how it's affecting the regular space as opposed to it being like, look how it's flying around. It's more him about, being him being weightless in the cab. So cool. like that shot is yeah, so that's very cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah, I love. I love. They went that. to space like Tom Cruise. They went to space to get that shot. And right. after, but but then after it's done, the shot of him twitching, uh, kind of Dave Bowman style, so that you know that he has had a major psychotic event. Uh, yeah, that has occurred and he is irrevocably altered. I thought it was effective. Also seeing the ship continue and like, look at the light at the next stop light. I love that. Off, love, love that. Oh, that's great. I They're love thorough. That. These aliens, though, <laughs> I have questions about their overall program. Like, like what they're they kind of what, what they're here to do, sort of like, let's let's put it all together just for a second. Mm -hmm. um, on one hand, you've got like the part that like the the government's figuring out which is that okay they've been these abductions and now they're talking to like people mm -hmm. um like you know they're seeing in the night and they're hitting them with the beams and like there's this like you know they're and they're we we find out like implanting like a specific message about like you should go to this place whatever right so there's this they're, they're trying to do this like kind of you know like low touch uh somewhat like uh you know covert situation with people on the other hand, they're going into the fridges in Muncie, Indiana, and just fucking shit up in the kitchen and taking three-year-olds. Like, that's super aggressive. Like, just <laughs> yeah. snatching a three-year-old out of the house, like, is super aggressive. And, like, yeah. that's not like making some planes disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. That is snatching kids up from Muncie, Indiana. And just so it's just like... Yeah. It's very hard to justify that. Like, I don't, I don't I don't know what's cool on their planet, but you can't just snatch someone's kids in the middle of the night and eat all their food. Like, that's fucked up. Maybe yeah. like one of the captains was of one of the ships was like just aggressive. He's like, we should just just grab some people and see what right. happens. Yeah, maybe there was maybe. The, oh, that'd be interesting. Division like, of the ranks. It's the rogue agent. Rogue yeah. Agent just, yeah. And they're like, all right, fine. We're going to have to send the mothership in and do the burp, 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 burp. <laughs> like, you know, to kind of like smooth Bill things over. Bill fucked it up <laughs> again. Yeah. We got to, God damn it. Go, se go send the synthesizer bots in <laughs> and patch this thing up before we have a real problem. We didn't know about that. They, they, don't, they don't like it when you take their kids on this planet. I don't know. This You're is true. Just screwing with the prime directive in ways we've we've expressed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like their their prime directive is lax as shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so, uh, so he is chasing now, Roy is chasing the lights and he ends up going up on the top of this mountain. And that's where he almost runs over Barry who, okay. Now we're going to talk about this family that is up here with the dad who is whistling. She'll be coming around the mountain and seeing a three-year-old standing in the middle of the street, just right. winks at him and makes no move whatsoever yeah. to assist this child. Yeah. Did you guys recognize this dad? No, who's the dad? Is he a guy? 
This is Robert Blossom, who was the old man in Home Alone. Oh. He's the unhoused man who makes me cry every time I watch oh, Home Alone. Oh, yeah. Um, That's great. And also later talks about seeing Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> this is some weird shit. <laughs> What is this from? What is this? That's, a, that's the Home Alone music. Oh, okay. okay. Like, I'm not what? a big Home Alone fan. I just like to cry. Okay, all right. Scene. All right. Uh, so, yeah, that's just weird with his family up there. But once the UFOs show up, they look so cool flying by. Yeah, they look the great. One that, the one that just, that just tumbles. Yeah, tumbles. Yeah, I don't know what their fucking tumble situation is. These guys have, like, give no fucks. Like, they must have amazing gyroscopes on these on these deals. Because they just, like, they're just, like, always just tumbling away. Just twirling mm. away. Yeah. That's, that's how a, they do. That's a, the only thing I think I have to say against the ships are, like, where is, and maybe this is just coming from, like, a, humans human centric thought process but like there's no like cohesive visual language like they just have Mm-mm. some of them look the same but then they have one that's like looks like like a here's my thought like i have a quarter an pipe for this. like it's so weird it's very here's strange. the i got you catcher you ready okay, help i'm gonna me. blow your fucking mind i'm i'm here i'm ready <laughs> it's not just one species of alien what? It's a, oh yeah yeah it's it's a it's a federation of aliens like and like oh. and, and like you can kind of you can kind of argue that because we see like two very three, different well three like, different kinds yeah body yeah. types of aliens like in the movies and like yes maybe they're part of one species they're of like just different stages of whatever sure. but like i think it's it's easier to assume that like this is a federation of like extraterrestrial beings and they're okay. coming to like check us out for like admission to the club Okay. That's interesting. So they don't bother with like Starfleet where it's like we're using Starfleet ships. They're like, we just have a bunch of ships from a bunch of different planets. Yeah, it's like a flotilla. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I like it's that. like you got to kind of like, you know, it's like, you know, you can have like your own little bit of flair, but you got to kind of <laughs> fit in with right. the crowd. But don't take the three year olds. Yeah. Oh, listen, like that's that one. That's that, that, that one planet. Like that one planet in the Federation is just like. You know, we love so three-year-olds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we have the chase with the cops and the one cop driving off a cliff, apparently, and dying. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they show him <laughs> landing. That's another note that I have. Steven Spielberg, really good with cars. Like, really yeah. good with, like, car chases. Obviously, yes. the duel, like, you know, it was like a, a car chase movie. Um, but, like, he's very good at, like, putting the camera in front of the car and, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, the car comes into frame and, like, you, just the action of, like, you know, of of cars being chased. He's he's very good at doing that, and particularly at this time in the 70s when it was, like, you know, the way they did that was a car went off a fucking cliff. Like, right. that was, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, good luck yeah. to you, sir. Like, <laughs> I just like that they go through the toll booth and yeah. respect, respectfully yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. bring Look, the arms raise up. It. Yeah, yeah and that's a go good through. gag. They don't break it, nor do they go over it, which yeah. seems yeah. to be a much easier maneuver. I had the yeah. same thought. Yeah, but they're they, like, you know what? No, they they probably threw that some rule change. they obey. The, they probably the, threw some change. I think the stealing of groceries and children. They didn't have that rule, but they right. have toll booths. Toll booths. <laughs> we understand and respect that roads yeah. need to be paid for. So yeah. the infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Those socialists. Uh, <laughs> Dreyfus is really good here. When he gets home and he's very excited and he wants to share yeah. something really special, yeah. his vulnerability in this moment I thought was really, really good and the engagement. Yeah. And then him taking them up on the mountain and her saying, you know, we used to come up here and you wanted to look at me. And then this kiss is between the two of them is actually very tender. Yeah. That's He's, a nice, that's a nice moment. It's the last nice moment they have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah. fuck starting tomorrow, but. Uh, yeah. So Jason, we cut to the UN helicopters and uh, and like uh, Toyota yeah. Land Cruisers cruising across the Gobi Desert. So was the UN operating with impunity inside China in the 1970s? I was very chill. You could just roll through. You could just roll through the Gobi Desert. No problem. Uh, no question. That's Frenchman's in charge. It's fine. Everyone loves the French. Everywhere. It's fine. It's no big deal. It's, it's fine. The We're back in the Gobi Desert, though. It's like yes. our return to the Gobi Desert since uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Exactly. We love it there. I think it was Mexico, though, similar to Dune um, yeah. or maybe California. But the Cotopaxi looks really cool. And the idea of having a ship in the middle of the desert is just inherently cool. Yeah, it is cool. It raises questions. Yeah. We have the beginning of Roy's uh, shaving cream intuition um, and him being fired. Um, and then we cut back to, again, world kind of spanning again with chanting in India. When you have yeah. this hundred people chanting this, oh, yeah. like yeah. this caused a resonance in my chakras as I was watching this film. Yeah. It's intense. The The real punch in this scene is they ask the guy, where did the sounds come from? And he can't hear them because the crowd is so worked up. So he's like, come with me, come with me. And they walk up the hill and we're following up the hill. It's this huge camera movement up the hill. The and shot then, of him and like yeah, hundreds of people behind hundreds them. Hundreds of people below. Like it's it's a huge like David Lean-esque shot of yes. just like tons and tons of people. And then you're like, okay, you put some fucking bodies in this shot. And then like you ask him again, like where is the singing coming from? And he translates it. And then he says, he turns his back to the camera. He says, where are all the, the, where are all the people coming from? And the camera, there's a cut to the crowd and all you see is him up on the hill and then all the hands in the foreground pointing up. That is fucking movie making. Like yes. that is some shit right there. Yes. Like that, like people should take notes. Like that is some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that shit worked. Yeah. 100%. That 100%. shit works. It works on me. I like it. I would like to see more movies with that kind of intentionality behind it. It's just awesome. Not to just shit on everyone and all things all the time, but like, is there a shot that good in any of the Marvel movies? Like legitimately, like, is there, is there like a sequel? Is there anything in like any of the Marvel movies that has that kind of like filmmaking intention behind it that it, in terms of like, it's a reveal, it's plot important. And like, it is, it's just cinematically excellent. Like, is there anything like maybe on your left, I guess, like that's like mm -hmm. kind of, mm -hmm. I was going to say, I, I was interesting. I was going to say the elevator uh, fight sequence because it reveals so much about Steve right. and it's such right. an incredible moment. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, but they are few and far between. I mean, yeah, it's mostly yeah. just like you feel like you could be in any space and the camera, it's like shooting a sitcom or something. Like, it's just like, you know, it's like, mm. yeah, there's like, you know, I don't know. I'm feel I'm, I'm I have a cold. I should say to our listeners, I have a cold. I'm a little grumpy. Um, <laughs> and so I don't mean to, you know, fucking wander into the slander verse. 
but mm. I was mm. affected watching this movie. I felt old and crotchety. Hex Hex drops the hammer in uh, in the events channel, which I assume is that's also I mean yeah that, the, the in game stuff yeah all the best moments are Steve and then that's like twenty that's minutes of in game it's yeah. worth it the twenty six movies that had to happen for that twenty minutes in in game were great <laughs> all right so so we're back on the hill um, and we have this meet cute with Ralphie's mom um, so uh, that's this oh, right. Barry's. Barry's right. mom, played by Melinda Dillon, most famously from A Christmas Story, oh, also right. in Magnolia as Rose Gator, okay. um, and oh, she was Mrs. Rogers in Captain America 1990, the oh. Roger Corman or whatever, uh, whoever whoever made that 90s Captain. Very America. interesting. Speaking of Marvel, she's the mother of the drug addict in yes. Magnolia. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 She's great. Woo! She's beautiful. She has a Woo! she has a tremendous like vulnerability and like she you totally buy her as this like you know driven mother who wants to find her kid and you you know she's the scenes she has at the end where she talks about how she can't go down because she's it can't be there unless Barry's there. She's like she's it's not ready. She's yeah. so good. Like she's like she's very very good at, at like selling determined vulnerability. Mm. So we go back to UFO HQ and they're broadcasting the song and they're receiving back numbers. Yeah. None of these geniuses can figure out what (laughs) what two sets of three numbers means. (laughs) Good thing there's a cartographer there. Whoo. Way to go, Balaban. Everything's in everything's in base 10. There's not even like there's no problem. There's some guy who's like, what's the 104th letter of the alphabet? It's like, dude, my guy. But it's pretty great uh, in terms of like they know the aliens clearly know what's going on. They can communicate. They understand. They know how to raise traffic gates. So they're okay with giving us coordinates that we will understand the monkeys that we have. The scene where they go to like get the globe out of the director's office is again fucking movie making. Like they go in like the inserts of like them like taking like the screws off the globe. pushing. That's a twenty five hundred dollar globe. It rolls out of the hall. You see there's a dent in it. Like they're the super close up of them tracing the lines in two directions. Directions. It's so exciting. Like, and it is about finding two intersecting points on a fucking map. Like, it's <laughs> right, so yeah, great. Yeah. I really like going from there and Lacombe is playing the song, and we cut to Barry playing the song on the xylophone. Yeah. And this is where we begin to have like there's some nice magic here as he's kind of working it out over and over. Um, mom steps outside. How about this cloud work? So uh, cool. I don't know what the effects were that they used for that, it's, but it's paint. Paint really it pushed into water. Like the yeah. two thousand one stuff, similar the idea. Stuff. But yeah. using wow. I believe it's paint and then uh, I can't remember what the, the second part that makes the sort of like the very like it's probably the, solvent the pool, oil or something. The pooling, yeah. like where it sort of cones shape. Yeah. I can't remember what they said about that, but it's like yeah, it's like white paint in liquid. Huh. There's this movie, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called The Fountain, um, and they do a lot of work uh, yes. with that, with oils and macroscale photography. They do, yeah. Now we cut to a full horror film. Like, yes. there's, there's, no, there's no question, um, as they come for Barry, we have the shot of the light through the keyhole, yeah. and then when Barry opens the door, the sound that we have here is very intense. The sound design um, is incredible. And Spielberg talked a lot about his idea of the innocence of a child, that only a child would open a door and would want to welcome the light inside 
where we tend to want to be closed off um, and shut things out and create barriers between ours. I, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But then he's like, let me give you some fucking screws unscrewing. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Screws unscrewing. And the shot of like the 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 aliens coming down the chimney and she's yes. going to reach under. I mean, this is all like, this is all like, you know, this is like an alien, like, you know, like a Ridley Scott alien. Before shot. Alien. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. This is before horror movies really were like the thing that they are. Yeah, it's it's a very like Evil Dead like kind of shot, like of like a camera on a wire, like moving fast, like through a weird space. Yeah, and the way that she felt just it just in the nick of time gets that yeah. like the trap closed, you know, yeah. and you're just like, yeah. <gasps> oh, OK, yeah. again, yeah. whichever planet in the Alien Federation <laughs> that's yeah I'm i mean not you. only they're abducting kids they're doing it in the scariest way possible <laughs> right yeah. also speaking of terrifying those kitchen appliances are fucked yeah those are not that dishwasher is not going to be working tomorrow no i mean she's going to have other issues because her <laughs> child was abducted but yes <laughs> he's pulled yeah, out she's also going to have to call the maytag man he's pulled out that was a tough one i did yeah, not like it's that a, yeah it's tough it's tough to watch again and she, and she but she pulls back and i'm like i know you want to save your kid but i feel like you're risking mm. a lot of ripping possibilities he's only right. a small child like you don't mm. want to lose a limb you know i don't right. think you let go like i i'm I mean, I don't know. I'm I guess you don't, but I just don't intuition. want my kid turning into Mr. Potato Head. You know what That's I mean? That's fair. Stretch Armstrong. Yeah. yeah. So now we go to the Air Force press conference. Um, and so I didn't get it when I was doing my first watch through a couple of days ago. I was like, this whole portion is very slow. This portion of the movie is very slow. And I realized after watching the behind the scenes and then rewatching it again, the extent to which this film is a commentary and a reaction yeah. to Watergate. Right. Right. So this is 77, uh, 76, I think, that they're actually filming it. So this is like four years after Watergate. Yeah. Um, trust is not is like gone, period. Like everyone has been betrayed. And this is why suddenly people are believing in Bigfoot, the Bermuda Triangle, UFOs, like what's it, Whitley Strauber's um, uh, communion comes out around this time. Right. Like we were kind of obsessed with all of these ideas of things that were happening. The Loch Ness Monster, right? In Search Of. We used to watch In Search Of all the time, Leonard Nimoy, because this kind of conspiracy thing was huge. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg likes to express this through the use of crates. He's a big, he's a big, he's a big believer that the government has a lot of crates and they got a lot of shit in those crates. And you're not going to find out what's in those crates ever. Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. Everything, yeah. Like all the secret stuff are in crates in that room, yeah. right? So big fucking wooden crates, reinforced crates. <laughs> right. My my notes just say BCE, big crate energy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. also, also the red parachute pant squad. Uh, yeah, those those guys and the military option operation is really good. Like these guys have their shit together. Yeah, they're inventing cover stories, whether it's flooding or anthrax or whatever. They've got the Piggly Wiggly trucks and the Baskin Robbins Thirty One <laughs> Flavors trucks. They're ready to roll. Here's the only problem with I agree they have a bit of like we talked about this way back in Arrival. Where Arrival, you see like yeah. The, the yeah. U.S. military really able to get the logistics going. I, I like seeing that from our government. Mm. The only issue I have with the 
uh, military's plan is that they have to execute it in Montana. And I yes. don't believe if you went <laughs> to Montana and told the good people of Bundy Montana <laughs> that they had to evacuate because there was some sort of mysterious chemicals, like, you know, biological situation, and they just needed to pile on trucks and trains and For get the fuck weeks. out of Dodge. <laughs> I don't think those people are going. I think those people are firing back. I think those people are going to be shooting. And I think that that is the only way they're going to be leaving is if you get in a shooting fight with them. Yeah. Uh, so that was the only problem I saw with their plan. So Silly calls out that you have conflated Montana with Wyoming. And I was going to uh, say, yeah, you know, a, a very small population of the United States is now mad at you. But like part of it's in, isn't. But they have four senators. All right, something's in something's in Montana though. And this isn't something in Montana in this movie. No? I, I was gonna say right. I think this is Wyoming, but all right. Listen, listen. It's fine. I'm not saying I'm a coastal elite. I'm just saying that Montana <laughs> and Wyoming are indistinguishable. Just blame it on me. You can blame it on me. They're I'm both sure. shooting. People in both of those states are shooting, shooting first and asking questions later. They're not going anywhere. That's correct. I stand corrected about the Wyoming situation. All right. So now we cut from here to one of the most iconic scenes in the film, which is mashed potatoes. Um, him trying to figure out what the hell he's trying to make that's wedged in his brain. And Terry's reaction in the split yeah. diopter shot yeah, is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then the shot, I, I couldn't tell if this was also a split diopter shot, but the shot across his face to his son, his son crying yeah. very crying. real tears yeah. Yeah. down his face as he says, Well, I guess you've noticed something that's a little strange with dad. <laughs> Something's wrong with dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, though. I'm still dad. I can't describe it. What I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. This means something. This is important. Dreyfus is really good in this yeah. scene. Actually, every single cast member in this yeah. is incredible. But now I can finally bring our Denny Villeneuve quote. This is from the behind the scenes from 2018, I think, the 40th edition, or for, uh, 20, 2017, the 40th uh, anniversary, they had a special thing that was J.J. Spielberg and Denis, because Steven considers Arrival to be the sequel to the effective spiritual sequel to Close Encounters. Oh, so listen listen to Denis here. Oh, You're terrorized by this idea at this age. And there was tension in my family. And I remember that when I saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I was seeing all those adults running around, not taking care of their family uh, anymore, was terrifying for me. Mm. This idea that the father will leave his family at the end. And yeah. later on, I discovered this idea that a compulsion, that could be an addiction on a passion, could cut you away from the one you love, that, that it could be more powerful than love. A dream could be more powerful than love. That for me, it was a terrifying idea that Spielberg brought in my heart. That's a great fucking quote. A dream could be yeah. more powerful than quote. love. Yeah. Spielberg has said that if he he wasn't a father when he made this movie, and if he had if and and now he would never have written a character who leaves his his family at the end to go with the aliens. That really? like mm. that, that there's something he didn't understand about fatherhood. And it was instead like more about like dealing with his own issues of with his own father. And like it's yet it, it's the exact same scene as in Jaws, where there's a dad at the dinner table 
who is like overwhelmed by the issues, the compulsion, as Denny says, of his life that is not in his family. And he's just like, you know, just completely perseverating on that compulsion uh, at the detriment to his family. And his family is like reaching out for connection and just like not finding it because yeah. the dad, the dad can't be there. Well, mm. this sort of speaks to, again, like this connection to it, it being about him and about Steven Spielberg. And like, you know, again, I only know as much as the Fablemans will tell me. Uh, but mm. my understanding is it's quite, you know, you know, close to the realities of his life. But there's this whole there's a whole scene in the movie where his uncle like shows up to the house and they have there's this whole uh, conversation about like, you know, when you love something, when you are passionate about something like everything else has to go out the window because when right. you have a gift, it's the the gift is what you need to share. And I think this is this speaks to that idea of everything else is secondary to I have to make the movie. I have right. to make movies. This is what I have. This is right. what lives inside me. I and have this to is, make the podcast. I have to. <laughs> I, have yeah, to make I, the I know. I know. I've got to go to the I Tilda get it. Q and A right. at South by Southwest. Right. And uh, yeah, the, I love this. Like, I, and I, it just speaks to this thing where he's like he said he doesn't have kids, so his he's entering into this, you know, writing of this script and and approaching this character from his own perspective, which is like nothing else matters. Yeah. yeah, because he doesn't understand yeah. that there's something more than that. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, it okay. should be noted that his wife is being very chill about it. Like she's trying. <laughs> she is trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, despite the fact that it's like not just compulsive, like he's not just compulsive about this, but he's having like an actual psychotic event. Like right. he's you know disassociating like as, as a result of this compulsion. Yeah. And like she's like trying to be like, OK, like, you know, let's try like something else or whatever. You yeah, know? Yeah. It, it, but at this point, it, but at this point, it's just mashed potatoes. So, right. you know, there's like, you know, it's it's, it's only the next scene where he is off the cliff. Right. Right. So it's yeah. 4, 4 a.m. clothed in the shower. And this scene where, you know, she's screaming at him. That was intense. Holy shit. And yeah, him begging her. I just want to be held. Yeah. Um, but then, but then her waking up in the kid's room because she was scared to sleep in yeah. with him and he is shoveling dirt and dirt ripping plant. once once he starts shoveling dirt through the kitchen it's a, it's window a, it's kind of a deal breaker right? yeah <laughs> yeah that's a wrap on can, that can we uh, can we just go back quickly to that <laughs> scene with, with him in the bathtub and just sure when his son is yelling at him cry baby And the way the door is slamming yeah, back yeah. and forth. It's like the most moving scene yeah. in the whole movie for me. Like, yeah. this is a man who, like, he's down on his luck. Like, yeah. he doesn't know what's going on. He is possessed by who knows what. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing he can do. And he doesn't know how to put it away. And mm -hmm. he wants so desperately to, like, let this not be a thing. And he doesn't want his family to know. Like, he's doing this in secret. And it's just like everyone, he's being caught by everyone. And it's now destroying everything around him. And I was just like, that shot, that's a scene of a minute less or something. And yeah. just the emotions that come out of it. And again, like, the every character, every actor is doing amazing work here. And just the violence in the way that that kid is just so let down by his father. He's just so scared. Yeah. He's so scared. 
catcher when you when you uh call when you like uh dm'd us and you had to cancel that episode because the fridge uh the fridge failed h was in the bathtub like right, just right, like right. absolutely like despondent <laughs> and unable to continue on i was the one that jason had to show over up, river like, over riverside you, you cry, cry baby <laughs> yeah, they wheeled the robot into the room with just your <laughs> face on the screen Oh, Sam yeah. closing the door. Right, yeah, right. right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh my God. I, yeah, it's I, just incredible. But yeah, it, so then he, goes, then he has a giant. So he's sort of like given up. He's like, right. I'm not going to do this. He I'm wakes up. It. He wakes up in the same mood she does yeah. only 25 minutes earlier, where right. he's like, okay, I'm putting it away. I'm taking all the stuff off the wall, all the UFO clippings from the newspapers. He's like, I've, I've got to put this to rest. And yeah. then. He's like on on in the background is footage from Devil. What's it called? Devil's Tower. Devil's Tower. He pulls the top off and he sees that it's Devil's oh, Tower. Oh, okay. Yes. When he pulls the top off the clay, I yes. shat myself. I was yeah. like, this <laughs> is incredible. What yeah. an amazing. Because you know what he's doing. Like he's yeah. going to get there. And Ugh. he goes into action, right? Like he immediately kicks into action. Yeah. And so to me, he's so psychotic, throwing plants, shoveling dirt. Um, ripping down the neighbor's fence and stuff, and everyone uh, is like is leaving. She's she's taking the kids and she's gonna go. She's like every boxer's girlfriend in every boxing movie. <laughs> right, right, yeah, true, yeah. Uh, like so good, but then you have this reveal of what he is building of this mountain that he has constructed in his place, which is absolutely incredible. But to me, the best moment is. As the days of our lives, the the episode ends and it goes to the credits and he goes to the window and he looks outside. Everyone else is living a normal life. They have no idea what is going on and they are just caring about and he cannot do that. He is completely cut off. Um, That to me was really powerful. Yeah. And like just a little thing, but there's, you know, he's running around outside like collecting stuff to build this Uh thing. And he goes and grabs the trash can as the yeah. trash guys yeah, are there. Yeah, that and guy. there's this sort of like slapsticky moment yes. of like them pulling it back and forth, which is very funny. And then he like empties half of it out on the screen. Yeah. In front yeah, of yeah. yeah, and then he goes to take the neighbor's chicken wire. Right, right. But then when you realize that he's used the garbage can as yeah. the mold yeah. for yeah, the yeah, top yeah. of the mountain. I was <laughs> totally. like, fuck you, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Like, yeah. what a great, like, yeah. I, I don't know who thought of that, like how it went from the page or in someone's mind to the visual yeah. and like how, okay, we got to get the trash can in here to use it as a mold or vice, however that happened. But it's just like, Wow. Well, that is one of the interesting things about this too, because like we're we're big believers of like have a plan filmmaking on this right. podcast. Yeah. But like this was not like the this was a lot was in motion in on the making of this movie. Like there was a lot of a lot of stuff that was like found along the way. And like in particular, like it was only after he saw like the production design for like the Devil's Tower set that he like figured out how to write like that whole like act of the movie. Mm, okay. and, like, there was oh, a, and it was, was a, yeah, it was Joe Alves, the production designer who yeah. he saw Devil's Tower and he's like, this is the place. And yeah. he brought it to Steven and Steven was like, 
that's the place. Let's yeah, do it. And then it. he built this whole set with like the where everything would be and like how that would work. And he was like, okay, now I know how to write that. And like there was a lot, there's reshoots on this movie. There's a lot of stuff that like they had to like, you know, tweak as they went along. And there's sure. a very, you know, this is the first movie he edited with his longtime editor. And so there's a lot of stuff that like he had to be worked out like in the making of it that was not yes, just happy. like from the page on the on the beginning mm-hmm. um so you know, i don't know movies are miracles yeah oh, yeah. Are, <laughs> yeah, yeah no it's true beautiful yeah. miracles nice nice uh so you know th- basically now he knows this devil's mountain so it's time to go the score here is incredible as this is all being revealed as he's touching the tv and jillian is seeing it she's touching the tv it's a budweiser commercial that leads yeah into the, into the reveal importantly the old school budweiser jingle which is so good the the national anthem for any saint louis <laughs> I, I feel like that was used by uh, by uh, DJ Shadow or Cut Chemist on uh, on uh, oh, maybe product placement. Great album. Um, so they head to Wyoming. They get there, and I love it. They you don't need any explanation. They just get there. I love him, kind of like Clark Griswolding, driving against traffic and like just <laughs> yeah. like waving and like, sorry, and reading and, the map and driving. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once he's with her and they're now driving, um, they don't know whether the accident is real. Yeah. The scene where he meets up with her and yeah. they're loading, the, this is another like, on the huge train? crowd scene. Yeah. And like they're loading people onto trucks and they're trying to put her on the train or whatever. And like it's this, there's this huge pullback where like you just see this massive humanity and like the only audio is of the crowd. And they're having this intense conversation in the middle of the sea of people and you can't hear them, but their body language like tells mm. you exactly what they're saying. Like mm. they both had this vision. They both knew they need to be here. Where they're excited what they might see. And like, it's again, like just like, yeah, that's a amazing way to tell that moment of these two characters reuniting without having to hear a single line of dialogue. Totally. Beautiful. Beautiful. So as they're driving, they're going to go off road and figure out how to get around the the Air Force things. Uh, you see, uh, or at least my notes at the time, I was like, did the Air Force really kill these cows and these horses? No, they gassed them. They gassed them. But you don't know that initially when they're yeah. driving. Um, and so they end up taking off their masks. They think everything is fake. But then the bird appears to be dead when they get captured. Right. And so like, there's a great psych out that, uh, that Steven plays on them where you just don't know who to trust and, and what is right. going on. They also but, drive the shit out of the station wagon, like oh, yeah. over like <laughs> Hill and Dale, like just fucking going like, I mean like, you know, take it easy, my guy. You, you know, you, that, I don't know what the suspect, I don't think this is like of off-road vehicle and you're just <laughs> flooring it through a fence and over a hill and through Barbed a cow wire. field. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I do love the revelation that Lacombe has them and 10 other people who quote got through. He brings them to the base, not to the, to the processing center or whatever to get them out of there. So we have this notion that Lacombe is bought into what's going on. And of course his, uh, one of his guys besides the cartographer is Lance Henriksen. Yes, Lance Hendrickson. Who has one word, one line. Yes. <laughs> There's a it. deleted scene in which he has like a couple more lines. And Carl Weathers was an MP who yeah. also got cut. He was in the theatrical, but he was cut for special edition Tough and one. directors. They end up taking off their masks and they flee. I love this little detail that Roy can figure out which way the two of them plus Larry, the guy who's following them. I, I heard Larry. someone describe him as a red shirt, and I thought that yeah, was yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Larry's not gonna fucking make it. 
No. But he's only going to go to sleep, so he'll be fine. But this this little detail that he, he can figure out how to get there because he's a sculptor versus right. they were painters. And, and so he, he had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the smart. Really smart. The sunset shot looks oh, like yeah. a Deacon's shot. Yeah, young Deacon's. Incredible. Yeah. The last line here before we get to the big finale is Roy can't climb for shit. Yes, dude. The way He's very winded. The way <laughs> the I that is my my second last note is him sliding down is so funny. Like, they've got to build in this tension. It's like, he's at, like, he's either going to go see aliens. We don't need this. Just yeah. he can climb and get over the edge. And why he gets back need... up and he slides down again. Yeah, I'm just like, why are we doing this? But, you know, it's like, it's fine. But that, that I hilarious. think that's funny. He's like, he's like, she's like, I'll come down. He's like, don't come down. Yeah. Don't come down. It's like a very Seinfeld. It's like a very Larry David situation. <laughs> yeah. I was in Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> so this base camp and the landing strip. All right. So this was built the largest indoor set in movie history wow. using two abandoned World War II Air Force hangars in Berkeley Air Force Base in Mobile, Arab Alabama. Mm. It's crazy looking. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, th- the landing strip idea came from Stephen from watching planes land at LAX. Obviously, shout out Heat. Obviously. But just... The diversity of the ships as they are coming and the sound design as the ships are flying by were just really incredible. I love all of the sound stuff in this part of the movie. I love all of the background chatter of like the military of like, you know, like like fucking everything just gives me chill. I was like, I was so chilled up about like when this part of the movie started because it's just fucking amazing. But like all the parts like, you know, like couldn't ask for a more beautiful night. And that then, was like, amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. And then like it's like and then like all the stuff of like them talking like, you know, like of all just like the the military esque like, you know, airmen chatter of like what's going on and how they're going to deal with it or whatever. It's just like so good. It's just so real. And stuff just like, uh, you know, like anyone, you know, in this in this group needs to be behind yeah. the double yellow line. And yeah, this exactly. Stuff right. be right. Nice and clearance like, D. Yeah. If you right. are to be out here. I'll mm. ask all the personnel to clear the deck. It's yeah. like it's just so good. It reminds me. It reminds me of um, some of my favorite business in two thousand one, which is like when they're getting when Bowman and 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 are getting like the messages from um, headquarters. Yeah, and like it's yeah. like you know, X-ray, sorry guys, Delta Well, we're sorry about that. Yeah, that whole thing. Like I love that. I just fucking love that business. Yeah, it's great. Oh my god, it just makes it feel lived in. Like it just gives that authentic on authenticity of like. Yeah, they're not just a bunch of people standing around in mm-hmm. uniforms. It's like, no, they are very calculated and everything has a plan and has a plan and has a plan and everyone's got their place in the plan and yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, and they, there, and there are manuals that were written and, you know, hastily constructed for right. what, who does what when. And they're not like, and at no point in the scene does anyone say like, well, we have, this, we have this synthesizer. Uh, because we're going to speak to them using music and we think like they'll be able to we think like you know the music is the language they'll understand which is essentially math like in a audio format and so that's what we're going to do they don't do any of that shit and should they do this like down a semi-quaver up two fifths down a perfect third like you know they do this like all like they do this whole like weird fucking thing like that's like you know it's just great like and like they're all talking over each other it's like unclear why it takes 15 guys to like play five notes (laughs) Going faster, faster, doing God. doing it around like it's yeah. so it's so good. And then yeah, this man is just the hands, right? Yes. Yeah. He's not to be thinking so, about anything. He is so just this the hands. guy. So this guy, by the way, so the notes, the synthesizer used to play the five notes is an ARP twenty five hundred, 
In ARP Instruments Vice President of Engineering, Philip Dodds was sent to install the unit on the film set and was subsequently cast as Jean-Claude, the musician who plays the sequence on the huge synthesizer in an attempt to communicate with the extraterrestrial mothership. I love this guy. He's this great. guy is an unsung hero of the movie mm -hmm. because he basically has no lines. They continually cut back to him. One of my favorite reaction The reaction shots, shot. Yeah. Is like when the mothership lands and they push the synthesizer forward yes. and he's yeah. like standing there with his headphones and he's not going forward, but the army is moving the synthesizer forward. He's like, fuck. All right. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'll go play my little ditties a little bit closer to this fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So great. Incredible. Incredible. So that is obviously iconic, both the, the music as well as the board. And the so board the correlation is is, yeah. is really amazing but now we have the revolution the revelation of the mothership okay hold on though hold on though hold on though so they're playing the notes yeah yes. right and so they're trying this sort of like rudimentary communication yes which is brilliant great great approach the problem to me is like when they just start riffing yeah i'm like now you have not a you you barely barely grasp yeah. what these five notes mean, right? At, at a base level, now you're just gonna free jazz this. Like who knows what you're telling these people now? And now you like you for all you know you just you're now just told like them to go you. shove it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Go shit in your hat. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's like, uh, do we like do we really want take be our three year olds? Fuck you. That's no, right. like, <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. It just the explanation. Like, I, I, yes, it is. Yeah. It's a little hand wavy. Yeah. Like the explanation is that the computers figure it out. Yeah. Right. Because he stops playing. They're like, okay, we'll handle this from now. There's this one line, which is like, we have like a lexical lock on as a first trans, the computer, the computers are taking over and they flip a switch and the keys keep going. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if they had fucking alien GPT in like 1977 <laughs> ready to go. They're arguing they did. I do know that it's fucking amazing filmmaking and that right. like yes. when it and like that whole thing of like the 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 them talking to the mothership and the mothership talking back. I love that the mothership drops a beat in yeah, the middle right. of yeah. it's like yeah. in the middle of its speech. It's not just like doo, 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 doo. it's like yeah. at some point it's like at some point it decides that four on the floor is necessary to get its point across. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, OK, God help you if I bust out the breakbeats. Right. But then it ends with the Jaws theme. Yeah, there's a little bit. There is the Jaws theme at the end. Yeah, that was wild. I, no, I thought it was ET. Looked, I thought it was bits of a bit of ET, but it's, it's a bah, bah, Yeah, the very end of what the mothership bah, says. Oh, right. I see. Bah, 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 that, yeah. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about this mothership. So first of all, when you see it above Devil's Tower, and it's so much bigger than that, uh, it's yeah. just absolutely massive. Well, well, there's um Steven. I saw in a one of a behind the scenes thing they were talking about it, and he was saying like, logistically, it actually doesn't make any sense. Like it should have come from above right. the sky it and like come sneaks down. Sneaks out. Right, like it's been hiding behind the mountain the whole time. Like it's, it, it made it made the the entrance. Yeah, well, that's it, the whole yeah. thing. He's it like, rode the, clouds, and then he said he said that basically it's like it's a filmmaking in, like intuitive decision. Like we need to be able to show the scale of how big this thing is, and the best way to do that is to have it come from behind, even though it doesn't make a lick of sense, like logistically speaking. But uh, I thought that was interesting, like because it does. You out of sound, and you're like. <gasps> Yeah. These little guys are not the thing. This is the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. This is right. the thing. Yeah. And so 
These are groundbreaking visual effects by Douglas Trumbull. Douglas Trumbull. Bless 2001 Space Odyssey, Silent Running, Starship, Star Trek, the motion picture, Blade Runner, and Brainstorm. He's really soon. good. He's really he, good. And and then he also <laughs> he, he also invented like 120 frames per second. Um, cinematography technique in the in the 70s he basically stopped doing or early 80s he stopped doing special effects to focus on that the mothership was designed by ralph mcquarrie unbelievable the god originally with no lights at all um and the idea was that it would just black out the night which is really scary but steven saw an oil refinery in india um which was where he saw the kind of superstructure and things sticking out and then the san fernando lights just incredible Built by Dennis Murin, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, T2, San Anselmo, Goat. THX. I mean, uh, ILM God. Yeah. He's in like every Star Wars making of movie you've ever seen. The the greatest. Bring back models. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the miniatures. The miniatures were shot in 70 millimeter, so that they were combined with 35 millimeter, they would still look sharp. Mm. Um, This I thought was fascinating. Steven had a CGI test reel created. Um, but it was too primitive, um, so I don't. Yeah, I can't even imagine like what that would have looked like. Yeah, too. it was a bit trash. It was a box. Oh my god! It was like the men at work video. <laughs> Roy going down to the base. You you reference this. Jillian can't go. Their te- their kiss is very tender. Yeah, um, very tender. Matt loves a tender kiss. <laughs> I um, the, yeah, I love that she's like, I can't go down. I can't go down unless I know that Barry's going to be. I can't be. I can't go down there. I love that. And he's like, well, I can't fucking stay here. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it when he goes down, a guy runs up to him and then runs straight past him and goes into a porta potty. <laughs> like, yes, this is like, where I want to be when the aliens come. I'm just going to be in the porta potty. <laughs> he's terrified, man. Terrified. Yeah. Not great. Not great. Pretty uh, bad perimeter security at the most important location in the history of the universe. Right? But yeah. like people mm. just get, just, they're in. Wandering. He's just in. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked already about a bunch of the, the the music and stuff here. So the doors open, the pilots come out. I love the the guy who's like welcoming, welcome home, sir. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like that guy is great. The other guy, come, welcome home, Navy. Uh, yeah. Just welcome home, talk. Navy. Yeah. There's I love all these old guys who are there. Like so these good. Old, like they like seem like old NASA guys or something like that. They're mm. great. But Lacombe offers Leary a chance. You know, he yes. comes up to him and he says, you know, uh, you know, what do you want? Have we uh, mentioned yet that uh, Lacombe is Francois Truffaut? We I haven't. Mean, Let's do okay. it now, please. Lacombe is played by Francois Truffaut, famous new wave director. The 400 Blows. Yeah. And, and Spielberg has said that he cast it. He cast Truffaut that like. He always wanted it to be Truffaut, but he asked other actors first because he didn't think Truffaut would say yes. But he cast Truffaut for the same reason like Dreyfus is that they both have this like childlike wonder about the world. Uh, and like uh, and like Truffaut's work, he finds to be very has a, a sense of childlike wonder as well, um, which I think is like a good clue into like Steven Spielberg's approach as well. Like he yeah. loves like, you know, he loves that like childlike discovery of, um, mm. of of things and like, you know, the, the childlike wonder that comes from going on an adventure. Um, and so I I, uh, I, I I it's just like a funny bit of it's like a really funny bit of casting. Yeah. And I think he also mentioned, too, like we had mentioned already about the whole like Watergate thing and this whole distrust in the military. And he liked the idea of sort of the trucks and the grunts representing that. 
But right. then at the center of this thing right. is Truffaut's character. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Is this romantic French man who just wants to see aliens, yeah. you know? And the, the, yeah. the, at the core, there is at least something that's running the show that is like there for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, which I think is like. And Bob awesome. Balaban. The two right, of right, them. Of like, <laughs> like, this, like, this like weird buddy comedy. Right. All right. I, I lied. I'm going to do one more, one more Denis quote. Here's Denis oh, on yes. Francois. When I saw Close Encounters the first time, I said, who is this? lovely, empathic, brilliant man on screen that seemed filled with love. Filled with love. Filled, who is this? Filled, I love filled that man's voice. Love. The greatest. Uh, now that my, my cold, I can speak a little bit more like Denny. God, could you imagine, when is Denny going like, to uh, like do some cameos in some movies? That'd be great. Play like a smart scientist would be mm-hmm. really cool. Um, so the doors close, they open up again, and now we have the spidery alien, we have the gray aliens. Um, and again, the score here really vacillates between hopeful and very creepy. Like yeah. it has these scary moments where it, it gets weird. Um, Jillian is standing off to the side, taking pictures of the aliens. Mm-hmm. Put a hand on Barry. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, he might wander off go, again. Don't let go of Barry. <laughs> My God. Get a leash. Barry's going back in. Mm. So the parachute pants squad gets prayed over. Okay, question. I have a question. Maybe I've missed it because I had to do this one in a couple of viewings, which I hate doing. But how did they know that, like, that they're going to send this? Like, they have this, they've yeah. prepped, like, a whole group of these dudes to go through. Because they got the planes without the people... Okay. They they probably assumed that right, right. No, see, but those... you're make you're making that assumption. The movie. Well, they... it's especially it's especially funky because like it seemed like when the little ships left, they thought it was like, oh, good, it good was job, over. we're done here, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. But like maybe they were just ready for any contingency. It does seem like a surprising thing to be ready for on like the right. first meet of like, great, hey, nice to meet you. Um, heard you like abducting people. We've got some. <laughs> we've got uh, ready. We've got some for you. Consent they're not kids. We don't yeah, know how you're going to feel about that. They're playful. But, oh, right. Yeah. Because they because they start asking. They're your second name? favorite flavor. They're military <laughs> right, people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, but they start asking uh, Dreyfus. What's his name? What's his character? His name? blood type. Roy. His Roy. Blood right. Type. He's like, what's your blood type? This and that. I'm like. What, what 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 are they why are they asking him this like I, I wasn't putting it together and I'm like oh okay they're allowing him to go and then I was like wait that means they've been training these people right. in some capacity or another to be like you're going on the you may be going on a ship later today and they showed no no they showed those guys earlier though they showed them back before they went to Wyoming but do they but they never explain what they're doing they didn't but that was a cool touch it was a, to me that that like was a very clear setup and payoff um that that these guys were ready to do it and a diverse, like, a diverse people, including women, like that. That yeah. that was all very cool. Okay, I mean, I don't including buy it, women. but sure, we don't have to stick to it. I like the blood type question because it presupposes the idea that you get to like bring some of your blood with you. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. He did not get a duffel bag. The rest of the crew got duffel bags. He's and fucked. He did not. He doesn't yeah. have any blood. Do you Nothing think, to read. Do you think the duffel bags have a weapon inside? Maybe. Yes, yeah, it's definitely a suicide pill. Right. If yes. like oh, things yeah. go yeah, wrong, yeah. Mm, that's tough. Uh, but as he comes out uh, from them being prayed over and him now in his uh, in his parachute pants suit, um, the music is literally when you wish upon a star. Yeah. Yes. Now, there was another cue of there was more when you wish upon a star in the original cut. 
and it got removed uh, because audiences laughed at it. And I believe, huh. I believe this cue of when you wish upon a star was cut from the special edition. Like I like th this one when he approaches the mothership. I don't believe in this is in the special edition, hmm. which is the version that I had on VHS. I bring this up because my dad, when I watched this movie, I have this very clear memory of him saying, like, because I like I was young, I didn't really know what this movie was, but I'd seen Pinocchio. He's like, listen, like you'll hear when you wish upon a star mm. and it wasn't in the version that I like it wasn't in the version that we had and so it was always this weird frustration of like I've been told that this thing is in here but I've never heard mm. it and it wasn't until like I You're saw like, my dad is fucking with me what the hell yeah heck? and my dad often would fuck with me and so like I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that like I, like, I was just like all right we'll chalk that up to just he's a pathological hit, liar hit the deck boys <laughs> yeah but like it is, it was really, it was really like, you know, it was really like kind of revelatory. Like, you mm. know, it's like, oh, okay, it's always been in there. It's just like, you know, maybe not the version I heard or something. And the idea that Neary is just a normal guy, right? He is just a, you know, yeah. a, mid, a Midwestern, you know, repair guy, but he can, because he believes he can abandon his family for all time and yep. go live in space. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He's got three kids and married yeah. to Terry Gar. So, no phone call. No, <laughs> Doesn't yeah. leave him a letter. No text. No like, BRB. No like nothing. That's a tough one. So uh, the music swells. Barry says bye, and we got a credit. There this was is a incredible. Thing, I read a thing in my in my brief Barry article, which was like, yeah, like they told Barry, like, yeah, you're not going to be able to see any of your friends from this movie anymore because we're done. And so mm. he was like legit sad as a kid because he loved being on the movie. And that's why he's like all sad. I love that scene. So tender. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Catcher, who yes. would Tilda Swinton yes. play? Okay. So I think... I think I'll go Truffaut, like Lacombe, mm, I think choice. makes the most sense. It's either mm -hmm. that or the alien at the end that does the like hand <laughs> yeah. thing. One of those two things. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right, yeah. Jason. Yeah. I mean, those are both really good choices, man. <laughs> she could play the mashed potato uh, mountain. <laughs> she, that's like a, that's another that's another option. Just her head is off to that. the side. She could play the Mexican guy with the sunburn in the beginning who says yes. that the sun sang to him. No, I think that would be a compelling role. No, I think that would be does not support brownface. Well, we wouldn't put her in brownface. Yeah, she wouldn't be Mexican. She'd just be like a a confused Scottish person in the Sonoran Desert. I would put her as as the Bigfoot guy, the the family, the guy up on top, whistling. She'll be coming around the mountain. Okay. Oh, you know, what? An another good part in the movie that I like is in the scene where they all go up to the hill and uh -huh. they think the aliens are coming back, but yeah, it's actually yeah. the army and the helicopters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's like these old people sitting at a card table playing yeah. like, you know, Pinochle or whatever the fuck, the yeah. bridge, I think. <laughs> and like when the helicopter comes by, there's the shot of this lady who just gets a face full of the deck yeah. of cards like <laughs> yes. blown in her face. Yes. It's an amazing, it's amazing like one shot and like, uh, Tilda could be that. Tilda could be the lady again. Yeah. <laughs> Just, that took also, 26 takes. That no. scene where they're like, it's like the it's like they're meeting with the mayor. Yeah. And yeah. it's like they're yeah. almost, maybe, almost, maybe, maybe slightly convincing him, maybe. And then that yeah. dude's like, I've seen Bigfoot before. And you're like, well, yeah. that's it. It's over. We're going <laughs> like, oh, this, all this work for nothing. Great, great. This is great. 
Amazing. Oh, I have one final thing I forgot to say at the time that it happened, but I want to include before we conclude Please. the movie. I have one of these two as well. Uh, Steven Spielberg was on Inside the Actor Studio. Yes. Late, okay, perfect. James Lipton. And James Lipton asked him. Your father was a computer scientist. Your mother was a musician. When the spaceship lands, how do they communicate? That's Think. a very good question. I like that. <laughs> You've answered the question. They make music on their computers, and they are able to speak to each other. You see, I'd love to say, you know, I intended that, and I realized that was my mother and father, but not until this moment. And Steven Spielberg gets like, like, the you clamps, just yeah. see, like, he, like, like, lights up. I fucking love that. Like, that's fucking great. The clip uh, is on YouTube. You can find yeah. it. It's 28 seconds long 28 or something. Seconds. They, I, they just heard it. They just listened yeah. to it. I yeah. cry every time I watch that. It's every really time. beautiful. It's, it's, really it's beautiful. so touching, especially yeah. tying this back into the Fablemans, right? Yeah. This, this idea that his household growing up was crazy. Yeah. His mom was an absolute lunatic. Came home one day, she brought she had bought a monkey and brought it home. And now all of a sudden they had a monkey at the house. And in yeah. the, another scene of the movie, they go and they chase a, like a, what's it called? Uh, like a, um, a tornado. You know, like uh-huh. she's this crazy person. And then you've got your dad, her his dad, who is this, the polar, polar opposite. And so this idea that like the thing that would, like the thing that could solve all of the world's problems would be to find a way of bringing these two worlds together, right? Mm. This crazy family life, you know, that's going on. And subconsciously, and that's the thing that's so crazy about art, like making stuff. There's things that I've made in the past that make no sense to me. And then all of a sudden I re- I go and look at an old sketchbook. I'm like, oh, that's what I was feeling at mm. the time. And you're not drawing it at the time thinking it makes any mm. sense. You're just making stuff. And that's what's so cool about this. And that's why I think The Fablemans is such a fascinating film is it's like, it is like a Rosetta Stone for like one of the most important art makers of the last hundred years, you know, yeah, and like, yeah, here yeah, is yeah. the thing that actually unlocks all of this work that this man has been making forever and ever and ever, wow. um, that he's dealing with it in a, in a direct way. And like, I wanted to bring up that exact moment because it's like, wow, what a crazy thing it's like it's it, it's the art is inside this man, you know. It's like mm, yeah. the decisions he's making are so just. He trusts in that thing inside him. Everything about his gift is obviously years of working at it, but there is an inherent something in his eye um, that he trusts in so in it so deeply, and it allows for things like that to slip through that he has even no no concept of. But like me because they come up from such a real place just makes what's happening so much more meaningful. And sometimes you don't even realize it. Mm. Incredible. Well said. Well said, sir. Well said. He's a, he's a gift. And like, I just need to watch more Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Steven Spielberg. Good. You heard it here first. All right. What do you think? Can we do some letters real quick? Let's do it. All right. Here is our first letter all the way from Australia. Hello, Bogpod. Ethan here, ringing in from uh, Middle Earth. Oh, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, with a hobbit's arm. This is crazy. Funny accents here. Um, Close Encounters is a great movie. Pretty undeniable. A bit long, but that's okay. Um, big fan of the dad going cuckoo bananas and like losing his shit and like making a mountain out of mashed potato or something, I think, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I watched it. Um, you know, building mountains out of stuff all the time, you know. No one was listening to him, calling a conspiracy theorist, all that stuff. 
And on that note, you know, you're all well-established Gen X people with families and lives and circles of friends and stuff. And if you had to like go crazy and like bananas and like look like this guy, what conspiracy theory do you wholeheartedly believe and would be willing to do this crazy mashed potato shit to tell people about? Yeah. Tell me. Come on. Tell me. I, I don't know any. I don't know enough conspiracy theories. I'm sure there's something to do with the CIA. I don't know. You Americans love your conspiracy theories. Oh, tell we me. Got a what lot do you of wholeheartedly them. believe? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go chat with some hobbits. I, I'm on record as saying that uh, pulsars are alien oh, communications, <laughs> uh, both beacons and navigators. Um, pulsars again. And that as soon as we can actually uh, apply the appropriate analysis to them, we'll discover uh, that that's like a, a homing system uh, that we can use um, for communication with aliens. So that's mine. Okay. Catcher. We should work on that, Jason. Let's work on that. <laughs> Jason doesn't need to work on it. He knows what they are. He knows what they are. He's smart. Okay? He knows these things. He's done the work. Okay. Um, fair enough. I don't know. I was just thinking. I don't know. Like, aliens are the only real, like, conspiracy theory that I have any interest in. So it, we've already covered it here. So it feels weird. To... I think I think it's this podcast. I feel like I'm willing to, I'm willing to I'm willing to make mashed potatoes and like you know bring a garbage can in my house to let people know about this podcast. <laughs> You're gonna my get this podcast. My favorite detail I forgot to say it at the time is that at the end of getting all of the trash and everything into the the kitchen window, he climbs the ladder jumps into the window yeah. and then pulls the ladder pulls in the ladder and slams in. The, the window shut. I even even is right that we do love conspiracy theories. I am not a conspiracy theory person because I do not believe that people are very competent. Yeah. yeah. As a result, like people just can't keep secrets very well or execute right. things at scale without it being known. Jason's actually been inside the government. He yeah, knows, exactly. He, he knows <laughs> like, the, these yeah. people are not keeping these people are, do not have conspiracies. <laughs> All right, here is our next voicemail. Get ready for this one. The Truth Sayer. All right, here we go. Wait, what? All right, time for the truth saying. Yes. There's three stories some... related to the making of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Two are false. One is true. The truth saying starts now. Yes. Number one, much of the film was shot at two abandoned World War II airship hangars at the former Brookley Air Force Base in oh, Mobile, busted. Alabama. Production needed to be shut down for a week after cast and crew were hit with a massive food poisoning case. Oh. The production company was in litigation with the catering company for three years before settling out of court. Number two, oh, the iconic five-tone melody took a while to get right. Spielberg thought the initial suggestions from John Williams were not quite what he wanted, so he eventually rang up his friend Burt Bacharach, who sent a tape with several options, <laughs> the last of which we all know. And number three, the aliens were tough to figure out. Spielberg tried all kinds of solutions to get the look right. Most of them didn't work, including an orangutan dressed in a specially made gray spandex suit strapped to roller skates. The orangutan immediately took off the skates and crawled over to its trainer. So a full test couldn't be completed, and the team had to scrap the idea. Which one of those three stories is the truth? Oh, wow, that's good. Okay, so so can I just so that I can make sure I understand. So the beginning, so the first one is that they did it in the Air Force Base, but then also the catering, yes. also the catering. Okay, yes. so that's a half truth, right? Right, because, it's a half truth. Well, okay, well, we'll see. Yeah. Well, the second one is what again? 
Is Burt Baccarat wrote the five note? I think because I do know that they were having trouble. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. So again, possibly a half truth. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last one is absolutely 100% true. <laughs> yeah, I think the last one is the truth as well. We didn't talk about the fact that they ended up using like uh, girls from like an Alabama dance, like uh, an right. Alabama. It's not a secret. Class. You could tell they just look bad. It's yeah, like the worst. It's the worst part of the movie. And it was like really hot on set, and they had to wrap them in like gray spandex, so they almost killed these children, like from like you know heat exhaustion, to, like get these shots. Um, so I'm going with the third one. The on the second one, on the second one. The Burt Baccarat part, I think, is not believable. Also, I don't know how, like, I saw an interview recently in in the run-up to the Oscars in which Spielberg said, I've never heard something from Johnny I didn't like. Like, Mm. that that we never have fought in all of our collaborations. I've never heard anything from him I didn't like. I think the the issue ended up being that he started offering up tones that were seven notes long. And he felt that it was too long and it was becoming too like rhythmic. Right. And he wanted something that was more like a doorbell, I think was Hmm. the quote. I think the first one is a mashup of the truth where we know where he's shot. But the food poisoning is like the story from Titanic where (laughs) they got PCP. Like someone put PCP in the chowder and they ended up like fucking like cocoa bananas for a while. Yeah. Um, That's a real thing. So I think that's a mashup of that. So I'm going going with number three. So I'm we're just trying to find one. the truth, right? Yeah, we're trying to find yeah. the truth. Let's okay, see. Okay, so it's one. I mean, three. Three, three, three. Okay, I'm going for one. Now comes the moment of truth. It's number three. Yeah! Spielberg wanted the aliens to be non-human beings. What the so he instead of walked. So he had a weird idea to pull it off. An orangutan dressed in a specially made suit with roller skates. That didn't work. I bet that was a weird day on the set. Here yeah. ends the truth saying. Woo-hoo! This is um, a great segment. Honestly, the thing that's crazy to me is like just for just for three seconds, I want you to think about orangutan <laughs> yeah. on roller skates, and yeah. you think that like that's a great yeah. Let's do that. Let's run it. <laughs> never that was never gonna work. Never in a yeah. million years. Get the get the uh, the animal uh, the animal watcher guy off off set for that day. Right. All right. Here we go. Here's our next voicemail. Yes. <laughs> Silly is back. San Francisco, October 2021. People congregate from all over the world to receive a transmission from a mysterious source. At first, these gatherings were small, but they soon tripled and even quadrupled in size as they constructed a hut to perform this weekly ritual. The transmissions they received contain technology and tales of other worlds and sky people that are far ahead of their time. Researchers have found references in these gatherings of pod people who may have been behind the transmissions. One of them may have even been among their number. One attendee that frequently shows up in the historical records is referred to as a gold man, described as a tall, lanky figure with a large, smooth head and a deep knowledge of technology. Even more curious is the subject of the first transmission. Was this a coded message as to their true origin? The very first screening in the Chucka Hut was of the 1986 film Aliens, and what was shared contained additional footage that was not originally available to the public. <laughs> this was, in fact, a common theme in these weekly rituals. Films like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Galaxy Quest, and the eight-time Academy Award-nominated film Boz Lerman's Elvis. <laughs> pattern too consistent to dismiss as pure coincidence. <laughs> the writings left behind foretell that these rituals would call it 
in a final screening in the Bay Area. When we go over the historical record, we find constant <laughs> references to a prophesied pilgrimage to San Francisco in November of 2023, where the pod people would reunite with the faithful. Could this gathering be where the pod people finally reveal themselves? Mm-hmm. Will the transmission actually occur in November as the prophecy foretells? What is the truth behind the mysterious Seat Zero? Find out this and much more on this week's episode of H and Aliens. <laughs> so good. And we've never had a fucking mashup like a, a super up. group, a yeah. super group voicemail. Oh I'm not going to lie. I thought they were announcing a new podcast on your show. <laughs> yeah. <at first>. <laughs> <Podcast>? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So listen, uh, we are very close to the pre-announcement of <laughs> the Dune Part 2 meetup in San Francisco. Very close. Mere some time unit away from now. Stay tuned. It will be talked time. about in the Discord first. I'm going to tell you, everyone listening to this who wants to come to the meetup in November, if you really want to come, you should join the Discord because that's where the news about it's going to come out first. Every once in a while, I just I see Jason do something or say something, and I just worry about what I'm doing to him. Like... <laughs> Putting out a notification seven and a half months before the event or <laughs> tweeting at POTUS to come on Dude Pod. I'm like, it's happening. Listen, Crystal, I'm sorry. The only problem with POTUS coming to the the, the number of seats they would require for Secret Service would really yeah. take down our attendee list. Uh, so I don't right. know if it's worth it, but. All right, we'll see. Our next voicemail, two left. Hello, Dude Pod. It's Kev hey. here. This week we're talking about. The second most important movie about space to be released in 1977, yeah. Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Kev's question, at a pivotal point in this film, uh, somebody makes a giant sculpture out of mashed potatoes. One of the most parodied things ever. I'd seen it a million times elsewhere before seeing this movie two years ago for the first time. Mm. Yes, really. So Kev's question is this. Um, did you play with your food as a kid? Do mm. your kids play with their food? How do you regulate that? How do you stop that? Mm. Uh, both first person and third person. That's great. Um, catcher, if you've made it all the way to this part of the episode, I did. much, much love to you. I have missed <laughs> you, but no pressure. I know that one day the Synonauts will return. Uh, Dune Pod, you know how we do this. I will talk to you next week. Peace and love. Yay. Once again, it's Kev's Questions. I think I I tag Kev in Discord more than any other person on question. <laughs> like I like see 17 things a day. I'm like, oh, that's a good one for Kev. Like, <laughs> he, Kev needs to see this. I hope that's fine. Uh so yes. Um, I mean the answer well, is yes. And every yeah, time definitely. I eat mashed potatoes, it's a volcano. Every time it's a volcano. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, wow always wow. a volcano with the gravy lava. Mm. I'm a very messy eater. I have pretty bad table manners. And mm. I think I've always been a messy eater. Um, my kids definitely fuck with their food ridiculous. And like it's just a full mess uh every night of just cleaning up fucking everything. Like little bits of pasta, <clears throat> pasta and like crackers and like all kinds of stuff. I don't know if they're like playing with it. They do just chuck things at each other too. Yeah. Mm. I mean, they're little monkeys at this Sam, point. Sam does not give a shit. Like he'll yeah. just like, he'll like maybe take a bite and then just get up and start running around and come hang out and talk and do whatever. Like he does not want to be in the seat or near the food as much as possible. So this is something we're working on. 
Okay, H. What about you though? What's your what's your idea about food touching? Maybe I, even. Mm. Uh, it's it's not a big deal to me. I wasn't big on playing with my food. I'm a big I'm a big combo eater. I a bite of one thing and a bite of another oh, thing. Oh, so yes. you're not like a sequential to, eater. No, 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 it's not a sectional up. eater. Like I ha- yeah. every bite has to combine multiple a bunch things, of things in it. Yeah, that yeah, in in order to get that that full experience. I believe my, my brother was a big sectional eater. I don't know what his really? current status is. If he's listening, he, he's mm. listening. He can he can. You can hit me up and let me know. Um, but yeah, he was a, definitely as a kid. I was not. I'm just like a fast eater. My family. The thing about my family, you have to understand, <laughs> is like dinner is over in like six minutes yeah. in my family. Like <laughs> yes. it's like even like as soon as the plates are down. Yeah. Like my mom is already doing the dishes. Like like yeah. like it's just immediate. And I'm the same way. Like I'm like okay. As, no, as soon as I'm done eating, I'm like starting to like clean up. Like let's get this thing. Let's get this thing moving. Um. So yeah, I don't know if there's I didn't there wasn't a lot of time for playing. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, our final voicemail. Doombot, hey, this is Corey from Austin, Texas, calling about uh close encounters of the third kind from nineteen seventy-seven. I started watching this this morning and I realized very quickly. I don't think I've ever seen this movie Holy all the way shit. through. Wow. I maybe have seen like the major scenes. I didn't remember the way it started. I didn't remember any of the stuff with, uh, with Claude. Um, is that his name? The French guy? Like all that. I didn't remember any of that stuff. <laughs> I didn't remember that the mom from Christmas story was in this. I didn't remember that Terry Gar was the, the, the wife. I, I don't know. Anyway, great movie. It was really good. That's Spielberg, as we've all said before. He really knows how to direct them. Um, I really dug it. Uh, John Williams' score was great. There's a lot of, you know, the Spielberg beats that we love, the chaotic, like, 70s, 80s homes, these family mm. homes. This one was, like, the chaos on steroids. <laughs> yeah. That house was nuts, man. This, like, workroom, which was, like, in, like, the spare bedroom or whatever. Yeah. It was crazy. It was I crazy. can't even imagine living like that i'm much too simple i'm not a minimalist by any means but anyway anyway <laughs> an awesome film i love dry fist even though he's got a quite a reputation of being really difficult and kind of an asshole um and i love terry gar she's adorable mm. and the kids are great i don't know who those kids were but uh they were really good too um bob balaban awesome love seeing that guy all right who would tilda swinton play she would have to play the french dude uh that guy was great so i think she would do an awesome job being uh the French guy. So, all right, that's it. Not a lot to say. This one's awesome. All right, thanks, guys. Looking forward to the next episode. Bye. Yay! It's it's a it's a trip, like watching Corey because he live tweets at us in the Discord as he's watching on Sunday morning, which I love. I love. That. It's the best. Yeah, it I is. love getting the Corey the Corey commentary track. It's the best. We did it, you guys. Yeah, we finished an episode together, the three of us. At last, we did it. No technical difficulties. I didn't die. No, and my laptop didn't die. My internet didn't cut out. Uh-uh. Killed I it. I was nervous for a minute. Catcher, what do you have to plug? Tell us when the new Synonauts episode drops. Guys, I have, no- I have nothing to plug. I don't know. Oh, oh, I do have something to plug, actually. Actually, <laughs> I do. Um, I've started writing some more, like, written reviews. It's something uh-huh. I'm really trying to push oh, some more on. On Letterboxd? Um, so, uh, Letterboxd, but I also have a medium. Okay. Uh, great. Page, so you can go to my website, which is catcherlives.com, and there are links both to my letterbox and also to 
uh, my website for like written reviews. So please go and check those out. And uh, ideally, there'll be more of those coming. Great. At a higher clip. So please check those out. Amazing. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Jason, your plug. Uh, I have two plugs. Big week. Uh, one, I'm going to plug the like early 80s um, animated feature, the Care Bears movie. Oh, God. Um, which we've had on uh, heavy rotation at home. Carol King did two of the songs for mm. it and sings the title song. And it is haunting. It's like a real weird, like kind of laudanum dazed <laughs> Care Bears song. Um, and we're watching a lot right now. So I, I plug that. Uh, and then two, I do plug playing Dungeons and Dragons with uh, chat GPT four. Uh, it is fucking amazing. Uh, I have went on multiple adventures with the same character. Um, and it's basically like doing like improvisational theater with like a good partner who just like wants to keep things moving. And like there's sort of like, you know, the rules of Dungeons and Dragons, but no one's like really cares too much about it. And it's just like so inventive and fun and has been a, a really good time. So I recommend doing that. It's shocking to me uh, that it that it works as well as it does. The stuff that yeah. you've pasted in there. Yeah. Um, it's both exciting. Um, and I think your take on Twitter today that things are just improving much faster than we'd expected. And, yeah. And that's the part that's interesting and getting people to be a little bit nervous. Yeah. Um, but well, I here's a reason why you should be nervous. Before we started recording this podcast, I asked ChatGPT4, what are some interesting insights about the movie Close Encounters I could use during a podcast I'm recording on it? And it offered up 10 insights, all of which we talked about on this podcast. Not all from me. Like they weren't all mm. ones that I volunteered, but they were all things that like got mentioned on this on this podcast, including like the origin of the name, like the, the Douglas Trumbull stuff, like the difference between the different editions, like, you know, the real life UFO events. Like, so you we know. killed it. We yeah. killed it. Honestly, it makes sense. Like if all if what if you just listen to two additional podcasts on whatever film you are about to cover, you, like there's only like <laughs> right there's only like three documentaries like ever thing, made yeah. about this movie, and so the information is just getting regurgitated. So <laughs> right. it makes sense that 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 would be the insight. But it's the banter people come for, catcher. I know that's but, what no, it's all about. No, of course, but I'm just saying like that. Like it is scary that that's what it gave you but it kind of makes sense if it's just like yes. scraping the internet for that information of course. but it is terrifying i'll be out of a job and i don't a job i don't even have yet you know so <laughs> figure it out should we're be gonna good. figure it out and that's it for this episode i want to thank jason and catcher for an incredible conversation next week it has all been leading to this the greatest action science fiction film of all time the matrix Joining us is the breakout star of Jason Momoa's C and HBO Max's Banshee, Warrior, and DMZ, Hoon Lee. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out online with us whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. DunePod is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. See everybody next week.
Okay, C-3PO. I'm sorry, who's in there? It's Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> damn you! I told you I didn't want to wear the damn mask! Okay, just, just do the same, Richard. What I really need is a droid that understands the binary languages of moisture evaporators. Evaporators? Sir, my first job was programming binary load lifters. Very similar to your evaporators in most respects. Thank you very much. Now, listen, I can do that better, okay? Thanks, but uh, we've got all we need. Look, I don't need this. I was in Jaws, okay? Okay, thanks.